It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. What a panel we have from Wired Magazine. Louise Metsakis is here. Stacy Higginbotham is also here from Stacy on IoT. And Phil Libin, the former CEO of Evernote, he's got a new product aptly named Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll let him explain. We'll also talk about TikTok and why that little bug where it's snooping your clipboard actually should be blamed on Google. We'll also talk about Amazon wanting to rule the world. Is that okay? And Quibi. Is there any hope? It's almost over, I think. All coming up next on Twit. This Week in Tech comes to you from Twit's LastPass Studios. You're focused on security, but are your employees LastPass can ensure they are by making access and authentication seamless. Whether they're working in the office or remotely, visit lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 779. Recorded Sunday, July 12th, 2020. No future in green pants. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash twit1 and using the promo code twit1 at checkout. And by Worldwide Technology. WWT's Advanced Technology Center is like no other testing and research lab with more than half a billion dollars of equipment, including solutions from key partners like Intel Corporation. And it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more and get insights into all it offers, go to WWT.com slash twit. And by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. It's not just an innovation on existing technology, but a scientific breakthrough in air purification. For 10% off your first purifier order, visit Molecule.com and enter the code TWIT10. And by Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to $15 a month with their three-month introductory plan. You'll also get the plan shipped to your door free at mintmobile.com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the latest tech news with three of the best people I could find on short notice. No, that's not true. Three of the best people in the business. I am really thrilled to get Louise Matsakis back. She is, of course, senior at, uh, senior writer at uh, Wired, staff writer. I just promoted you. You're senior. Thank you. I appreciate you're that. I was like, great. Senior. I'm, you're in charge of Wired. Uh, at Wired, it's great to have you on. Actually, we have some topics that you are an expert in coming up. So, Can't wait. Yeah, we're going to, we're gonna, Louise has been writing a lot about the latest stuff. We also want to welcome Stacy Higginbotham, who is normally relegated to This Week in Google. Relegated? <laughs> relegated. I, think I elevate everything. Yeah, no, you no, we are relegating, but you are elevating. So they go together. Uh, she is also a expert in many things, but uh, primarily IOT. That's the name of her podcast and website, Stacy on IOT.com. The podcast is the IOT podcast that she does with the great Kevin Toffel. And you were on All About Android this week, so you've been very busy. Thank you for being part of our uh, network this week. I, so I, I did lie to you. I was on 
Tech News Today. Tech News Today. Uh, That's close. It was Jason. It's Jason Howell. Yeah, it's the same guy. It's the tall guy and the short guy together. <laughs> Jason and Micah. And I want to welcome an old friend, a guy I've known many, many years. Back when he was CEO at Evernote, we became buddies. Uh, he's been on the show many times. He is uh, now uh, in charge of a group called All Turtles, which is kind of an AI think tank startup at All Turtles, all-turtles.com. He's the CEO there. Phil Libin, it's great to have you on. Super fun to be back with. Uh, Phil actually has a new product we we're going to play with. In fact, you may notice every once in a while weird things happen with Phil. Uh <laughs> It's no weirder than usual. <laughs> it's called uh-huh. <laughs> Which is really the culmination of many years of a startup naming. We've slowly eliminated all the vowels. And now it's just two M's and H and two more M's. Mm-hmm. And uh are you using mm-hmm right now, Phil? <gasps> he is, look at that. M, I know. Yep. I played with it. I was lucky enough to get an invite. At, well, I think it might have something to do with knowing you, but I <laughs> got played with it last night. It's so much fun. It's a virtual backdrop, but it also gives you over-the-shoulder graphics. You can also do weird things to yourself, like make yourself translucent and make yourself smaller. So you're actually not in a blue room. I am not. I am in my uh, stuck in my apartment in in the Mission in San Francisco. As many of us are these days. Well, not in your apartment, but our various abodes. And uh, it's really nice to be able to get on a Zoom call and not be in your <laughs> your normal environment. I love some of the environments you have. There's a brick wall. There's kind of an industrial space. There's bookshelves. Um, there's some really fun backgrounds, and there's also just plain backgrounds like that it's a i like this this is like a, a newscaster daily show kind of effect the little side exactly whatever what is that is there a word for that uh over the shoulder graphics is what we call oh it. so fancy i knew yeah. you'd have what yeah and that's exact. and i think that was your intent right phil's to kind of give give people the ability to do uh yeah. kind of newsy style uh, presentations you can even have slideshows and other things in that over the shoulder graphic just kind of yeah, the, the inspiration was very much uh, instant weekend update. That's that's how we pitched it. <laughs> All right, I, so. I'm not good enough. I, I don't have a good enough graphics department to to be funny and you're talk about IoT. You're already there practically. You've got the backdrop. For all we know, this is not Stacy's new home. This could be just anywhere with a special backdrop put in there. By Wednesday, I will have my actual shelves delivered. That's okay. That's okay. I'm COVID not... delays all. Yeah. Isn't that true? Stacy just moved and is, uh, is slowly upgrading her, uh, her, uh, place. Let's, uh, talk TikTok because that's one of the stories, Louise, you've been, uh, covering and it's a very interesting story this week. TikTok, we a number of things happened. One because of That's iOS, it was a big week for TikTok. Uh, the first story was when iOS fourteen became more widespread in its public beta. People started noticing that TikTok was snooping on their clipboard, and right. the fear was that it was actually trying to see passwords and things like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So that was the fear. And TikTok actually put out this really long technical post explaining that the reason for that is that it was an anti-spam measure. Um, you know, according to them, they are not storing that clipboard data and they're basically just looking to see, are you copying and pasting the same comment basically over and over again onto a video? Or are you just like, you know, putting that comment on every single video you see, et cetera. But I think because of all of the other stuff going on with TikTok, this particular issue kind of uh, raised a lot of fears for people and they shut it off basically immediately. I think the companies doing this have got to get together on their stories, though, because LinkedIn also got busted and their excuse was what they had a different reason. Uh, it was due to a software bug, um, th but they said the same thing. But we don't we don't read it. We don't store it. We don't save it. LinkedIn is now uh, the target of a class action lawsuit. Uh, from people. There were a total, I think, of 56 applications caught doing this. But honestly, now I could see, I understand why people would assume the worst with TikTok. It's owned by a Chinese company. There's always been a lot of concern that it might be a spy tool. We're going to get to some more stories from other people who are worried about that. But LinkedIn is a Microsoft company. I don't think it seems likely that LinkedIn would take the reputational risk of doing this if they were to get caught. Phil, you've overseen a lot of software development. How is it that this particular bug could get into at least 56 applications? I'm going to guess it's many, many more that we're going to discover that are doing this. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's notable that all of these bugs that are you know super creepy, potentially privacy invading bugs, they you know they'll go in that direction, right? You rarely hear of a bug where Companies like, oh, due to a bug, we're not snooping on you. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you know, so we wanted to snoop on you, but we don't seem to be able yeah, to. Yeah, it's a bug. Yeah, we just can't do it. Uh, you know, I was on LinkedIn literally today, uh, and um, I saw this ad, um, which uh, Phil says, explore ir irrelevant opportunities with Irvin Salted Egg. Yeah. What and is that? Now, right. So now I'm not looking for a job right now. Um, but this is my favorite brand. Urban Salted Egg is my favorite brand of uh, salted eggy fish skins. And I literally like ate a crate of them last time I was in Singapore. It's a real thing. So how did they know that? Well, exactly. So probably they bought my credit card data because I've never said anything about it. Oh, interesting. But they probably bought, you know, I probably bought some with a credit card in Singapore and they probably bought my credit card data and used it to serve up this ad. Now, look. If my company were to get acquired, I hope it gets acquired by Irvin Salted Egg. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe I would explore opportunities there, but it's creepy, right? And so I'm 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 99% confident that the uh, you know the cut and paste you know bug really was a bug, but when you put it in this environment with all this other like creepy stuff that they're doing intentionally, you know it's it's it, it's hard to say for sure, and I think it, it erodes trust and confidence in these companies, even, you know, even when they're innocent of, of any sort of uh, intentional malfeasance. Yeah, is there, yeah, yeah. those things. Really? So, uh, but they're actually potato chips. No, no, no. Yeah, those potato chips are for the for the amateur American market. You need the fish skins. <laughs> Scroll down. I, I have skin. many questions, but Wait mostly I just want a bag to taste. They're salty. Where are the eggs? Yeah, what, where's oh, the egg like involved? An egg batter. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. The potato chips are lame. The, the fish skins. You want the you want the fried fish skins. In I was batter. ready for like uh, what are those eggs called that are banned in the U.S. Those uh, chocolate eggs. 
the UK. I was I was ready for like some the sort Cadbury, of like savory. The Cadbury cream eggs. Yeah, There's exactly. A- we can't have them in the U.S. because they're a choking hazard because they have like little toys <laughs> oh, inside. Oh, it's the, it's the green one. Or, sorry, orange and white. Um, what are <laughs> they? Kinder. I used to bring them to my kid. Kinder, Cadbury, Cadbury, Kinder, 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 yeah, Kinder, Kinder, yes. Kidbury. Yes, Kidbury. Oh, Lord. Because they have toys in them. And, of yeah. course, that does sound kind of dangerous. <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> small toys. But most kids, I feel like you're smart enough not to eat the Kinder Egg If, you, if you knew the Kinder Egg had a toy in it. Right. Oh, look, you know how, like, in the U.S., when you buy, like, a pack of uh, Q-tips... A friend of mine tweeted about this. It says recently. don't eat them. Yeah. It says, like, don't put them in your ear. For the love of God, do not put these anywhere near your ear. <laughs> right? But that's what you, you do with Q-tips. Yeah. But you go to any other country and, like, Q-tip packaging is, like, photos of people blissfully putting, putting them in their, in their ears. ears. Yeah. Because that's obviously what you're supposed to do with them. Except, like, other countries are like, well, you know, when our citizens put stuff in their ear holes and it starts to hurt, they don't push it any further. But Americans <laughs> can't be trusted to do that. I, I think it more it has to do with uh, class action lawsuits and yeah quite, uh, quite likely yeah yeah lawyers are saying look if you say on the box don't put it in your ear and they put it in their ear we're off the hook it's on it's, <laughs> it's on, on them, them. <laughs> oh my god I, I was going to ask about is it the 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 bugs all of this is it both is it a software reuse thing I mean that's people what my do sus- sh- yes that it's I'm, yes re- that's exactly what it is that's what I suspected okay. yeah. It's a Google SDK feature that TikTok oh, had used. There you go. Oh, yeah. So, it, yeah, that's exactly what uh, I really like encourage if you want to know more about this. I thought the TikTok post, like, you know, obviously they're trying to exonerate themselves. But I thought that the technical explanation of like how this got into the app and what they were using it for, like, was pretty clear um, and like made a lot of sense. Because when you hear like copying clipboard, it's really scary. And I think this is this is why I think. You one, you can't expect your engineers to be like they're solving a problem, right? They're like, oh, I need to do this. Here's the easiest, fastest way to do this. You need to have someone whose job it is. Sure, they should think about the other thing, but someone needs to come in and say, hey, what are all the ramifications of this? What is the worst that could happen? Because a lot of companies, I don't think they think that way because they're they're optimistic. They're they're Silicon Valley tech companies. Half of them are like trying to do good and change the world. The other half are probably a little bit more nefarious and, you know, working around it. But I, I do think companies really, given the heightened scrutiny and the freak out and the prominence in our lives, really need to start having the people who are worried about class action lawsuits. I don't want it to go that far, but that's what they need. Louise, what what is the intent of that Google SDK? What is it used I'm for? Not- I'm not exactly sure. I can pull up the post and see. I like looked at it yesterday, but we can look more at did it. Did TikTok I, call, out, call it out? I think they did. Yeah, they okay. like specifically called it out. That, it's um, funny because both Stacey and I had the same thought, which is actually I didn't think it was like a Google SDK. I thought it was something on you know Stack Exchange. That's that the developer said, "How do you do this?" and found some code which happens all the time why rewrite it and they copied it and pasted it and it just turned out 56 apps copy and pasted the same code with the same it's not a bug the same odd feature that was snooping on the clipboard there is good reason to snoop on the clipboard a lot of apps do that intentionally because you might leave passwords there bitcoin wallet numbers there there's all sorts of stuff that is very likely on your clipboard in fact our sponsor LastPass and most other password managers clear the clipboard uh, pretty regularly for that very reason. They don't want to leave passwords on the clipboard. 
but I think yeah. They, so they I just looked at the post, and it Go says uh, the by the integration of Google Ads SDK. Oh, it's say an ad exactly. SDK. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the, okay. Well, so there you go. Right. That that's, proves it. That's my point. <laughs> that's that, how they knew about the egg chips. Right. So that's but, actually a little nefarious. Yes. I mean, they're. <laughs> it's a lot nefarious, right? Like the 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 outrage here shouldn't be about a particular bug. Like, yeah, this bug was innocent in the sense, probably in the sense that. They probably weren't trying to spy on your on your clip on your pasteboard and do anything nefarious with it, but the problem is all of these things happen because of ads, right? Because of targeted ad tech. ads. It's like, ad tech, yeah. It, creepy advertising is going to eat the world. So just to kind of dot the i and cross the t here, you were using TikTok, and for some reason on your clipboard was perhaps, well, no, in this case you didn't. You didn't order anything online from Irvin's Salted Egg. The only ch- time, only information they could have gotten was from a credit card. But perhaps... My guess is from a credit card. It's yeah. possible that I texted something about it, but I don't think so because I'm not actually going to publicly admit to any of my friends that I ate my weight. <laughs> <laughs> this is one problem. With, I don't think I told anyone. One problem with fasting is that when you get off the fast, you will eat anything. And a lot of yeah, and, and, and honestly, it's not that it's not that keto friendly because it's like I think there's quite a lot of sugar in that, in that um, egg batter. Uh, I'm guessing. But it's delicious. Uh, yeah, they must have gotten my credit card, which okay. is which okay. is creepy. Another want, place they snoop. Selling this the, info. Yeah, another place they snoop. Right. That is I the think creepiest it's actually, data. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of funny and interesting that LinkedIn would even think that there would necessarily be a correlation. I mean, maybe there is for a lot of people, but like I don't think necessarily most of the stores that I frequent with my credit card purchases or places that I want to work. But this you know, is exactly kind of a- what's wrong with this ad tech. And we all know this is these ad recommendations are always <laughs> hilariously inaccurate, right. right? So they made a mechanical connection between the fact that you bought a lot of Irvin salted eggs. <laughs> they made that connect, which are dangerously addictive. We agree. But they made that connection. And because LinkedIn is about job hunting, they said, they put it's still an ad, but they put that two and two together and got eight. It's just a weird, but that's what happens all the time. You know, you know what else is dangerously addictive is uh, creepy advertising. Yeah, no kidding. Lazy business models yeah. enabled by it, which are ultimately bad for the world. So, just as Google used to perhaps sniff through your Gmail looking for keywords so that they could advertise to you. They stopped doing that, but now <laughs> apparently they have an SDK that's worse. It's it snoops on your clipboard, and then if it, if a brand name goes by, or they're not stealing your passwords, I'm sure, or your Bitcoin wallet. But as as a brand name goes by, or something like that, they'll make a note of that, and they'll show you ads for that product. Uh, yeah, Phil, to your exact point, <laughs> I just was looking at the TikTok post and literally it says the ubiquitous nature of third party ad programs helps explain why so many other apps indicated similar behavior. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, exactly. All these apps were just caught doing advertising. They get caught. Is, yeah. The, is it, perfect do you think they're doing this knowingly? Like they know that Google's uh, scraping the clipboard, they must, right? Or no, maybe it's maybe it's part of being in the Google ad network that you, you get this code. Yeah, I don't think that it's like populating in a server somewhere where they're like collecting all of it, you know, and then storing it, you know, indefinitely or anything like that. So I honestly think it's potentially something that they're not particularly aware of actually until like, you know, this iOS notification came out. So two points to come out of this. One, thank you, Apple. 
Apple's doing more and more to surface this. Ironically, I think Apple is only doing it because their own iAds failed. So since yeah. they, they couldn't make money in ad tech, they don't, said... Don't, give, mm-hmm. don't look at They'll gift ruin horse. it for everyone else. Yeah, it's a gift horse. Like, it's yeah. mm-hmm. Here's why they're doing it. They're doing the right thing. Given a lemon, let's make some lemonade. But it is a gift horse. There, There's a lot of other things Apple's going to do in iOS 14. For instance, the permission for the Apple ad ID will pop up when you install an app. And you can, at, at that point, you can turn it off now in the settings, but it's buried deep. But you can, at that point, every time you install an app, say, yeah, don't give that app any information. That's, advertisers are terrified because that's going to be a huge loss of data. So you're right. This is a part of the war ad, between ad tech and consumers. It's, that's disappointing. All of the companies that were caught have said, oh, it's a bug. We'll fix it. In other words, we got caught. So we're going to fix it now. Kudos to Apple for surfacing it, and I suspect uh, when iOS 14 gets uh, widely in widespread use, it may be we find some other uh, companies doing the same thing. So that was yep. strike one against TikTok. Uh, I don't know if it's related, but a number of companies, Wells Fargo just said you can't put TikTok on your company phone. Briefly, Amazon sent out a letter saying you can't use TikTok to Amazon employees. Then they said, no, that was a mistake. What was that about, Louise? Yeah. So my understanding is from like having talked to some sources in the last couple of days is that um, this was a decision that was made like not with the Amazon CSO's um, knowledge. So basically like top like C-suite security people didn't realize this was happening. Uh, So they basically were caught with their pants down and this email went out and it looked really dumb because Amazon is a major advertiser with TikTok and they have been collaborating... on a feature together that lets you like shop directly on Amazon from TikTok. So their marketing people were really mad. Um, I think basically immediately they started, they got on calls with TikTok and they were like, Hey, we're so sorry about this. Um, it looked really bad, but I think it is indicative of kind of the wider, you know, concerns that people have about TikTok. Um, but yeah, it was really embarrassing for Amazon. Honestly, it was obviously, you know, another nail in the coffin for TikTok potentially, but it was a very bizarre couple of hours on Friday for me as someone who primarily covers TikTok and Amazon. <laughs> Together at last, it was a story made for Louise. I really felt that way. <laughs> they were thinking of you when they sent out that letter. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state this week on Fox News said, we are thinking we are thinking about banning TikTok, Chinese apps in general, but especially TikTok. Didn't say they're going to do it. Didn't, they're thinking about it. India did. And there are a lot of Indian influencers who are very upset. A uh, little lesson learned there, but they built their business, some people over a couple of years, making money on TikTok. Now they don't have that outlet anymore. Is, so here's the question, really. Is there anything to fear from TikTok? It's a Chinese company. They're trying to pretend they're not. For instance, um, in Hong Kong, they've withdrawn from Hong Kong because they're afraid that they would have to give information to China. Um, I it, there's, room, there's stories going around that they're trying to get out of China somehow. Uh, any company that operates in China, whether it's Huawei or TikTok, presumably is going to have to adhere to the laws of China, which would, in uh, just as in the United States, mean that they would give information to the Chinese authorities. 
Um, should we should we not be using Louise? You use it. I do use TikTok. I have to for my job, honestly. Um, I think that I'm not particularly more scared of TikTok than I am any other app that relies on advertising as a business model. Um, I think that my threat model might be different if I were a U.S. diplomat, if I were... Yeah, U.S. Uh, diplomats you know, shouldn't be using TikTok. I will like grant you that. Personnel. Yeah. yeah, or something like that. I don't think that there's been specific, you know, concrete... Uh, security concerns that have been identified about this app. And I think that anything that comes from U.S. officials has to be viewed kind of in the context of China-U.S. relations, which I would, um, you know, very gently say are at an all-time low. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand ByteDance um, which is the company that owns China, uh, owns, yes, they own China, Uh, the company that owns TikTok and kind of the uh, role that it plays in China. Um, it's kind of like the Facebook of China in a lot of ways. And very similarly to how Facebook pisses off U.S. authorities, ByteDance has pissed off the CCP and gotten in trouble for things like uh, letting what the CCP considers to be lewd content go viral. Um I think that it's best to view TikTok through the lens of capitalism and through the lens of like another big, you know, tech giant that primarily makes its income through targeted advertising uh, and, you know, is incentivized to get you to spend as much time on the app as possible to make its features as addicting as possible. Um, And that is the best way to think about the risks, I think, for the average person. Um, But, you know, if you know, if anyone knows any specific security concerns related to its Chinese ownership, I'm open to that. But I don't think we've seen that. What's what's your signal account? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, please DM me on Twitter uh, if you know anything about that. I'm open to it. You know, I think it's naive to be dismissive. Yeah. But uh, I do get a large whiff of sinophobia anytime that this topic comes up. And I think uh, a lot of the people shouting the most about it have the least knowledge about China. And I think that that should be kind of indicative. But, you know, that said, I'm open minded. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm not here to apologize for the CCP. But I think that, uh, you know, they're an advertising company that wants as much data on you as possible to serve you advertisements. You know, well, and to be clear. I think now we understand that the problem with these apps isn't what you put on these apps, the content you post, the videos kids post on TikTok. The problem is that it's on your phone and that because it's on your phone, it has access to all sorts of information about your location, what you're, what's on your clipboard, all sorts of things. And any, I think, honestly, Phil, you can tell me you're, you're in this business. Any app you put on your phone is very likely collecting as much information as you'll let it. Well, I mean, I think that depends a lot on the design of the app. Um, but but isn't that one of the reasons you want to get on a phone? Um, I mean, it's never motivated me or any of the stuff that we've built. Right. Uh, um, just because we have a philosophy that uh, we're going to get data that is uh, very clearly beneficial to the end users and we're going to explain why we're getting it. Um, the philosophy here is... Uh, it's called beneficent design. So the, the idea behind beneficent design is you make every single decision based solely on what's in the best interest of an informed end user. So you just say, uh, well, if the user understood exactly what was happening, would they be would they want this? Would right. they be okay with it? And if the answer is ever in doubt, then you, then you just don't do it. But yeah, uh, a lot of and, and many companies operate that way, but none of the ad supported ones do. That's and I really do think it's an issue of yeah. of the uh, targeted ad supported business model, which. Right. 
puts a fundamental conflict of interest between what the customers want and what the where the money comes from. Sorry, what the users want and where the money comes from. And when you have that, yeah, it's all sorts of all sorts of bad behavior. Uh, so yeah, anything anything ad supported is uh, I don't know sketchy in my book. It's not unusual though for a, even a paid app to do some of this. No, of course not. Uh, yeah. But but a lot of the stuff is like that's double you know, dipping. You would want for for the for, you know for the end user, right? There's 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 legitimate functionality. So for example, if uh, you know in in iMessage, if you text, if you just if it's just in iMessage, text someone, you know where you at. Uh, they will get an option in the autocomplete to just push a button to reply with their location, right? Like it's doing that. It, it obviously get, you have to like enable that the first time. It's it's looking up iMessage on the person who phone who received it is looking at their location so that they can push the button and in one tap you know reply to you where you are. Like that is a plausible thing that you can do. Get your location in iMessage so that you can right. quickly communicate it again with a with an opt in. So I think like stuff like that is fine. Those are convenience features. Um, but no one wants their information to be used for weird targeted advertising. And that becomes the root of a lot of the, a lot of the problems. Stacey, as I remember, you don't let your daughter do TikTok. She doesn't want to do TikTok. Good for she her. Is, she, her, her goal in life is to become a spy and she wants to keep herself <laughs> off the internet as long as possible. Is that true? I'm not, I, I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> I have no problems with that. Uh-huh. I do. I do worry a lot, though, about like anytime there's a there's a move that sort of says, well, you shouldn't trust TikTok because it's a Chinese company, that kind of stuff that that radically like turns me off. I think that's an extremely dangerous path to go down. Uh, we start like uh, we start basically excluding products and companies based on their 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 national origin. Um that's just not going to end well. And it's not going to end well for American companies. Well, and it is a no, political thing going on in America right now. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say for 10 years, I've been hearing about Huawei because I was in the telecom industry as a right. reporter. And for 10 years, I have looked and, and yes, there was government ownership of Huawei. There's There are things that are questionable, but in, in 10 years of hunting, there has never been any proof and every now and then you just bring this up again and again. So to me, I mean, the whole issue with TikTok and ByteDance, it's similar. And I think we're going to have to get used to this because I think what we're seeing is lots of companies around the world, mostly China, they're creating products that people in the U.S. want to consume. And that's actually good. That's, I mean... I am so good torn. For all of us. I am so torn because, of course, first of all, I love China. I was a Chinese major in college, uh, so I don't like the jingoistic, vaguely racist idea of oh, those people there, we don't like them, we don't want any of their products. Uh, but it is the case that uh, China has economics. I don't think China has military designs on the world, but they definitely have economic designs on the world. Uh, they aren't uh, a democratic uh, country. They, they have a president for life. And it is certainly Huawei's behavior in other regards has sometimes been bad. I've heard lots of stories about them wandering the aisles at trade shows trying to, you know, snarf up uh, intellectual property. China does that. Many Chinese companies do that. Companies so, in the U.S. do that too. I know. There's, There's no lock on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's bad behavior on both sides. That's probably fair. 
So I don't I, I want to rule out the jingoistic stuff. At the same time, if you're putting Huawei gear in all of your 5G equipment and it's software defined radio equipment, so an update could completely change its behavior at any time. I don't I don't, I'm not surprised that some governments would be concerned about that. So I don't know what the right answer is. Is that not something we should be concerned about? I mean, it is. So we should be concerned about that. But if we are concerned about that, we need to be concerned about that throughout our entire uh, silicon and software stack. Absolutely. On anything with, yeah. and, and we're not. And I don't think we can be. We don't have the economic incentives in place. So, and also, I would also say we need to think about that with regards to the phones that people who are our diplomats are our leaders should maybe not be on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> on, on actual phones that they use. Yeah. I mean, that, then that, we have to that be Android consistent. seven phone is probably not the ideal tweet device. So I don't it, it's a hard thing. And I'm not against us deciding that we're going to kick all of, you know, anything made in China that's strategic. Like if we decide a 5G network is strategic, which Trump certainly has, but we still send lots of data over 3G networks. And, you know, those are <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. And it does feel a little bit jingoistic. It doesn't, you know, it feels like it's more an arm of trade policy and anti-China sentiment than it does actual concern about security. I, I just feel, well, for instance, uh, we, we know because of the economic climate, uh, countries, companies that are now using China for manufacture, chiefly Apple, are looking at uh, other outlets. Foxconn is apparently looking uh, at building an Indian factory to help Apple start to move iPhone production out of, perhaps out of China. I mean, one of the reasons you do that is because India has very steep tariffs against products not made in India. Never, And same reason Foxconn has a Brazilian factory. But the most recent story implies that, chi that Apple is moving away from China. Um, this comes from uh, the Times of India, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how credible it is. Well, and our, our national leadership at the moment is picking fights with the rest of the world. So and we do live in a... Yeah, be prudent. Yeah, we live in yeah. a global economy. Right. And when you're in a global economy, you can't just go around punching people in the face and calling them ugly and expect to work with them later. <laughs> I, I'm serious. That's a good We're, line. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and we know we can't make everything in the U.S. We might want to, but we don't have the uh, ability yet to do that. So, and I don't think we'd want to. It's not economically viable. I mean, guns and butter, people. Guns and butter. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I mean, do you think that's impossible? an impossible goal to say, well, wouldn't it be great if we just did all our manufacture here in the U.S.? We designed this. It's designed in California. I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think that's necessarily what we'd want to do. I mean – but this Other is the countries level that, have sources of expertise right. and materials and like economic benefits. This is the conversation that we should be having as opposed to like, these guys, you know, go ahead, Luis. I was just say like, keep an eye on the ball. Like I would love to see a national federal privacy law passed, right? Like, you know, if we want to, you know, tackle these issues, I think we need to have, you know, robust regulation that is not just targeting companies from a specific country, but is, you know, deciding what kinds of American, what kinds of privacy rights every American should Good be point. entitled to. Yeah. Yeah. 
Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> right on, Louise. I would support moving at least 50% of uh, TikTok manufacturing uh, to the U.S. <laughs> well, Taylor Lorenz's uh, article in the New York Times says uh, a lot of TikTokers in the U.S. are very worried at Mike Pompeo's rhetoric because uh, they make a lot of TikToks here in the U.S. It's very popular. In the- yeah, it's just the first time. Nope. Sorry. Uh, go ahead, Phil, and then uh, Stacy, and then Louise. I'll have to say, traffic. Just- Pompeo just can't do most of the dance moves. and you know, <laughs> I think Mike needs a TikTok account. He'd feel a lot better about it if he did. Go ahead, Stacey. I was, yeah, no, I was going to say, I think this might be some of the first time or the first time that some of the kids has probably paid attention to Mike Pompeo other than his like. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Louise, did you want to add anything before we move on? Oh, just that um, there are a lot of really good memes on TikTok uh, about Mike Pompeo's interview. Oh, are they? uh, And they're super funny. Yeah, there's a whole meme that's like uh, people joking about like distracting Trump so he doesn't delete TikTok. Like there's a girl who puts like orange makeup on and she like dances sensually while like stacking bricks, like pretending to be making a wall. And she's like, look over here, Trump. Like, don't look at, don't delete TikTok. We need this app, which is pretty funny. Should I feel <laughs> left out of the uh, of the conversation if I'm not, a, if I don't have an active uh, TikTok presence? Um, you probably get more sleep than I do as a result. Oh, are, um, you, are you doom scrolling or TikTok? I'm definitely doing a lot of TikTok scrolling <laughs> late at night, which is not great because it's so like mobile friendly that even if yeah. I like close my laptop and, you know, put away everything else, um, I don't know. I mean, I, why not get an account that you can just check out here or there? I think there's no, even that's if you're exa- just like, that's exactly that. what, beautiful. I mean, who wouldn't love this picture of a dog <laughs> relaxing on a lawn chair? But, <laughs> but this is exactly why I got rid of my TikTok account is because you do, it is addictive. It's funny. Right. It, if Meg Whitman and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg had just done the right thing, they could have invested a lot of money. Instead of Quibi, they should have made TikTok. It is mobile friendly, but somehow I'm in the lounging dog. Uh, this uh, is a good. This is a good area to be in. I'm yeah. loving the lounging <laughs> dog area. Uh, wait a minute. Here's the bunt cake area. He's making an American. He can't get the bunt cake. Oh no! Ah, okay. Bunt cake failure. Um, this is. I don't know. I'm, we're not listening to the music, which is a lot. A lot of uh, what TikTok is all about. Yeah, I like I, I like understanding what is uh, the cool music to be listening to. Yeah. I'll be honest, as an old person. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> See, I look at this and I go, "Oh, please, I you know I can't stop." And I that's exactly why I am um, why I deleted my TikTok. I feel for you, Louise. <laughs> All those late nights. No, mom. No, don't do it. Don't do it, mom. She taped. She duct taped his phone to his face. Now, they stopped that TikTok too early because I sure would like to know what he did after that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We're going we're gonna to take a break. Uh, see, the mistake of doing this is now everybody's going to stop listening to the show and download TikTok and start looking at all these over and over and over and over again. It is highly addictive. <laughs> I, I think it's fun to watch people. I mean, a good half of them are just people being goofy. Goofy. It's so weird. What did what happened? Wasn't Vine didn't Vine own this? What happened? Vine was like a low rent TikTok. What's a low rent TikTok mean? (laughs) I'm so judgy. That is really judgy. 
What my happened, daughter Louise? daughter loves Vine, believe what ha- it or not. Vine is TikTok, was TikTok until they killed it, until Twitter bought yeah. it and killed it. I think Twitter kind of messed it up, honestly. I don't think that they really saw the potential. That was also like pre-Instagram stories. So I feel like we weren't really ready for like short-term, short-form video in that, you know, sense. Like TikTok came at the right time where everyone was like, oh, I'm already watching short vertical video from my friends. Why not also watch it from Funny Strangers? So now the former founder of Vine has a new uh, thing called Byte. Which apparently uh, all of the TikTokers in the U.S. are thinking about moving to. At least that's what Taylor Lawrence says in the New York Times. Um, it's not going to happen. It's TikTok, right? I've had some fun on Byte. But yeah, I t- checked it out when it first came out a couple months ago. And I wasn't super impressed. But there also wasn't that many people on it yet. So I don't know. I'll give Byte a chance. I'll give is Byte it, a chance. But it, One of the things that actually can ruin this. And and some people were worried TikTok was going to get ruined is when when the c- celebrities get on it. That did not seem to harm TikTok. I did like cringe a couple times when I saw like Bob Saget and stuff on my yeah. for you page. Yeah, uh, but I think it's like segregated enough that like I don't know. It's not like you you're don't gonna have, have have to see it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I might have actually blocked Bob Saget. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't be the only one, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's take a little break. Uh, it's great to have Louise Mitzakis here from Wired Magazine. Our great dear friend, uh, Stacey Higginbotham from uh, This Week in Google and Stacey on IoT. And another old friend, Phil Libin from All Turtles, all-turtles.com, and uh, his new program, Mm-hmm. What's the deal with the name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, I think you you you, you said mm-hmm. it last time. We mm-hmm. we wanted a, a memorable name. Uh, yeah, we were we, talking about it on Mac Break Weekly. It's just M M H M M. It is memorable. It's it's a palindrome. You know, I I always wanted a palindromic name. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And as you yeah. said, I think on another interview, you said it's performative. You tend to want to perform it. Yeah, uh, that's that's really the main thing is this is a sound that uh, anyone can make without thinking about it. Right. Everyone just says "Mm -hmm," all the time in conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's actually kind of tough to say intentionally. Um, (laughs) You have to pause for like half a second because you can't just say it. You have to perform it. You have to think about how you're going to inflect it, how you're going to pronounce it. And it's a name that you can't say thoughtlessly like every other company name or product name they've ever seen. You could just say it without thinking about it, and mm-hmm, you can't. Every time you say it, it's like a little micro performance. <laughs> and uh, since the product is for performing, we kind of thought it was cool too. I like it. It is. Uh, it is a um, virtual camera that you can use to create uh, more interesting Zoom conversations. And uh, you're on Skype right now. You said you had to do a little bit of uh, hacking with Skype. Oh, look! It looks exactly the same. Oh, now you have a, a brick room. <laughs> it's a virtual background. It does a very good job of the virtual background. That's hard to do well. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of really cool things um, that you can do with it. But yeah, people should just watch that uh, that YouTube video. Uh, it's it's we've had a tremendous amount of fun making it, and you know this was our first uh, kind of post COVID quarantine project. So this is the you know it is it is our first kind of lockdown native product i like it your timing is obviously very good this yeah uh it is right now invite only 
It are is, you, yeah. Are you going to charge for it? What is the deal? Yeah, I mean, this is a, um, you know, it's very much a, a Godfather three uh, moment for me. This is, a, you know, every time I try to get out, they they drag me back in. It's going to be a premium <laughs> of some kind. Was Evernote yeah. your first? For freemium? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so it'll be freemium. There'll be a free version, um, and then there'll be something that you pay for, uh, but we haven't figured out exactly what. The plan is to spend uh, the summer in, in, in beta. So in beta, everything's going to be free, uh, and uh, we just want to work with people to do interesting things with it, kind of figure that out, invite more and more people through uh, into it, and then we'll, we'll go live in early fall, and by then we would have figured all this stuff out, hopefully. You can go to mmhmm.app to uh, sign up, get an invite. Uh, when those are available, mm-hmm. dot app. I think it's fun to play with. There is a, a threat because virtual cameras don't always work. Like Zoom, it comes and goes. Like we've used uh, Snap has a virtual camera uh, that we that we <laughs> practically had to ban from our Zoom meetings because people were coming in as giant fish and all sorts of sorts of things but it it can't it like it would work sometimes and then it wouldn't work sometimes because it seems like the software sometimes allows virtual cameras and sometimes doesn't what is you probably are very are intimately familiar with this issue what's going yeah, on so uh you know we don't um uh, i guess the short answer is that you, you only need the virtual cameras for one of the use cases which is the video conference meeting use case and there yeah it works it works great with uh all of the newer versions of Zoom, uh, they basically reintroduced virtual cameras just like a week ago. Uh, they, they were shut off for a while while they made some security improvements, but they're back. So it works with Zoom, with Google Meet, with Microsoft Teams, with BlueJeans, with just about everything. Um, but I, I think the video meetings are like one use case, but I actually think the the, the streaming use case is, oh, is probably bigger. Okay. It's just for people who want to make right. content. Right. And or to make presentations. So there's there's a lot of stuff that uh, that isn't just video meetings that that I think people do. So we like I feel I feel pretty good about about the state of it, yeah. of where it works. And yeah, Skype, uh, Skype, it doesn't work with. So I've had to like I've had to seriously abuse Skype on my Mac because <laughs> it's work. Which I don't recommend other people do. So are but virtual cameras well a, everything else. a security threat? Is that what is it that Zoom didn't like about them? Uh, I don't think virtual cameras themselves are a security threat. I think uh, the way that uh, apps handle plugins of any kind might yeah. be that they're, okay. they're not done correctly. So I think okay. they, they, they took them out while they kind of hardened their whole plugin architecture. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah, they've been working hard to be more secure. Yeah, their number one you know, feature. But yeah, they, they, they brought it all back. Because uh, um, yeah, people but, like virtual cameras. <laughs> yeah, and again, I, don't, I, I think the, the idea of a virtual camera... Like that's not a long-term concept, uh, but you'll be able to do this sort of thing inside of any video right. presentation, you know, permanently. And we'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll navigate through just like we did with Evernote and all of, all of the other companies and figure out the best ways to do it. And, you know, for, for whatever year we happen to be in, you know, in 2020 right now, it's, it's virtual cameras and zoom. It's, you know, something else and other platforms, all that stuff are just technical details. Microsoft has added uh, custom backgrounds to Teams, and one of them is <laughs> is really absurd. I, let me see if I can find it. It's not on this uh, post. It's a it. You're, it looks like you're, everybody in the large meeting is. It's not on this post. Everybody in the large meeting is uh, in an auditorium. If I can find it, it's just ridiculous. Oh, that's their yeah, press photos. So if you if you see the, just Google the story, and I bet you're going to come up with a. 
Teams Auditorium uh, virtual background, maybe. It's so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, here it is. It's called uh, Teacher Mode. <laughs> or Together Mode. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. Or, 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 you know, John Malkovich Mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very just weird. The same person, and then it's obviously that like just replace put John Malkovich's face in all of those. See, if we all looked like John Malkovich, that would be great. That is John Malkovich mode. Yeah. That would be John Malkovich mode. Yeah, this is uh, this is everybody's trying to figure out. But this is, as you point out, Phil, this is just for right now. So you have uh, ambitions beyond just the the Zoom era. We're going to call this the Zoom era that we're in. Good. Well, we what, do what, have ambitions. We'll play with it a little bit. Our show today brought to you by our good friends at Casper. As as we all know these days, it's hard to get a good night's sleep. Too much doom scrolling. You got to get off the doom scrolling, Louise. If you have a nice mattress, maybe it'd be a little easier to get to sleep. Casper really innovated on this direct-to-consumer model. Realized early on that the biggest problem in mattress buying is the mattress store. That's where all the markup happens. If if only you could sell direct to customers. The problem is people like to sleep on their mattresses before they buy. Casper came up with a brilliant idea. Sure, then, we'll give you a 100-night risk-free trial. If at any time in the first 100 nights you decide you don't like your Casper, they'll come and get it, refund you every penny. There's no risk at all. But I got to tell you, I don't think it happens very often. These Casper mattresses are phenomenal. My first Casper was the original Casper. They still sell it. It combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface, just the right amount of sink and bounce. It's breathable design, lets you sleep cool. That's really important. Hot summer night, if you can sleep cool, you're going to sleep much, much better. The original mattress now has 20,000 reviews across Casper, Amazon, and Google, and an average of 4.8 stars. That's how much people love Casper. It's becoming the Internet's fav- favorite mattress. I'm sleeping on my new Casper, the Hybrid. They actually have a number of new models. The Wave, which features a patent-pended premium support system uh, to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential is great for low cost. It has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. Uh, great for a, a guest bedroom, a student, that kind of thing. And then I'm on the hybrid right now with my kitty cat, Sammy. The hybrid combines the pressure relief of the award-winning foam with durable yet gentle springs. They also have great pillows. I love my Casper king-size pillow. They have wonderful sheets, the Casper glow lamp. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They also offer free shipping and painless returns to the U.S., and Canada, and right now we're going to get you $100 off select mattresses if you go to casper.com slash twit1. And using the promo code twit1 at checkout, casper.com slash twit1. Some terms and conditions apply. Don't forget to use the offer code twit and the number one at checkout to get that $100 credit. Twit and the number code one. I love my Casper. You will too. A good night's sleep. It's worth its weight in gold. Honest. Casper. Dot com slash twit one and the offer code is twit one. Thank you, Casper, for your support. <sighs> I'm just looking at all of the stories we could talk about. I I I love those uh, TikTok stories. Did you ever try fill the magic leap? I did. Yeah. Why do I? I feel like we talked about this before. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was great. 
Uh, now, I have a high tolerance for wearing extremely dorky stuff on my face. Uh, <laughs> it didn't bother me. In fact, that's kind of a feature. I sort of look for that. Um, but, you know, I may be an outlier uh, in that. It, the people who tried Magic Leap loved it. And I remember talking to Amy Webb. She said, you just don't get it, Stephen Levy. You just don't get it. If you just could try it, if you knew. And I'm not talking about this is the developer version that they put out uh, uh, last year. I'm not talking about that, but the actual real magic leap uh, apparently was something amazing. Maybe they oversold it a little bit on their website. Remember the the school gym with a giant whale coming <laughs> splashing uh they might have oversold it a little bit but they were apparently trying something very different a technology that that uh was much more effective than other augmented reality uh, glasses the problem is it just took them too long uh they raised almost two billion dollars they uh they spent years developing this thing i think there was some problem i suspect in getting it portable enough uh to be really useful company almost went out of business earlier this year they were ready to lay off half their employees uh, got a urgent round of additional funds 350 million dollars from the original investors now they have a new ceo and okay i realize that this is total conspiracy theory but the new ceo comes from microsoft she was there doing biz dev at microsoft for six years Maybe she just wanted a new challenge. Magic shots, you know, Magic Leap's struggling. Maybe she just thought it'd be, you know, here's an opportunity either to turn it around and become a hero. And if I don't, nobody's going to blame me because it's already kind of fallen apart. I have another theory. And this has happened once before with Microsoft. A Microsoft executive, Stephen Elop, left Microsoft because he didn't look like he was going to get to be CEO and went to a company called Nokia which Microsoft eventually acquired for billions of dollars. Remember, Microsoft is in the same business with their HoloLens. Am I nuts, Stacy, thinking that this may be the first move in an acquisition of Magic Leap? Why would Microsoft need, I mean, maybe it's if they could get it cheap. I mean, I've, I've done Magic Leap and I've done HoloLens. Both are good and HoloLens has actual customers and use cases that that Microsoft can charge a lot of money for. I don't know if it needs Magic Leap. And yeah, I think the Nokia deal was not one-off, but it you was see certainly nothing to, 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 to trump it. It was a, it was, it was a big it was a write-off in deal. the end. Yeah. <laughs> but other, other people leave biggest, like if you look at Cisco departures, you're going to see lots of acquisitions to the, from the companies that their executives went to start. So I don't think that's like, it's not conspiracy. It's just, you know what you know. So maybe Peggy just felt like, ah, you know, I'm, I've been here six years. <clears throat> Time for another challenge. Completely possible. Was she working on HoloLens with people? like She was EVP of BizDev. She was doing deals yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, but that's not necessarily, that seems like that would be a reasonable person to put in there as a bridge to an acquisition. All right. Sorry, I'm nodding my head. I'm like, yes. <laughs> All right. Maybe <laughs> I'm nuts. I don't know. It, the only way this makes sense is if Magic Leap has some secret sauce, which many people have said they do, that is better than HoloLens. It's certainly be got to be better than that that Magic Leap One headset, which I have tried. That was silly. Uh, that wasn't. It wasn't. It was roughly the same as a HoloLens. But I think HoloLens is kind of silly too. I don't think that's the end game. 
Louise, do you have an opinion on these uh, AR glasses? Do you want some? I, I just have never gotten into it. And I feel like the pandemic would have been the perfect moment for them to really take off. I don't know if we're just like not ready for this tech yet, if it's not mobile enough. Um, but I mean, I'm, you know, curious and, and would be interested to kind of delve deeper into some of this tech as it gets, you know, more mainstream. But for now, it's just like, I don't know, it's not something I gravitate towards. And I think that a lot of Americans feel the way that I do. Oh, I feel the way that you do. I haven't, even with virtual reality, I have a lot of friends who are big VR fans. Even our 17-year-old spends a lot of time wearing his Vive with his buddies uh, playing weird, you know, Beat Saber and things like that. Uh, but it Does it give him vertigo? Like it does, makes me kind of sick. Yeah, me too. It makes me nauseous. Yeah. Uh, so I actually think there's a there's a different angle on this, and this was uh, one of one of our inspirations uh, behind. Mm-hmm, is you know I thought, um, and I spent like 20 years, and I've talked with to you about this a lot, Leo, like fantasizing about all of the use cases that we're going to build when we finally have like AR you know headsets that are as small as normal glasses, and imagine all of the amazing functionality that we can have when we're all walking around with these these ubiquitous AR glasses. And then we just realized, you know, a few weeks ago and uh, a few weeks into the lockdown that like, well, now we all have giant AR glasses. They're just our big monitors. That <laughs> True. All the time. That is our window to the world, isn't it? These yeah. Days? And so yeah. we just started like implementing a bunch of the fantasy use cases that, that I was saving for 10 years from now. I kind of thought, well, maybe now is actually a good time to do it. Interesting. Staring at monitors. So let's let's bring out those creative AR ideas and just stick them into monitors. Uh, and yeah, it's actually a, a pretty... Um, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ideas to be mined in, in that way. Uh, mm-hmm, it's definitely like the first version of that, and there's there's a bunch more stuff. So that's really interesting. Um, I, I think I agree with you, Elise. If these were ready, uh, anything like this were ready, they, this would be a perfect time. Uh, although I think a lot of what AR, as opposed to VR, what AR is going to do is give you information as you operate in the world. I think one thing we've seen, which is actually really fascinating, is that people like AR not on the outside world as much, not yet at least, but they actually like it um, on themselves, right? Like the biggest form of AR that everyone uses all the time is Snapchat filters, TikTok filters. Um, So I think that reverse AR. Yeah. There's this idea of like, oh, we want to put the glasses on, you know, be able to like look at things and get information. I think that actually might be really useful, especially for like something like Google Maps, like, you know, being told, like, just make a right here. That's so much better than just staring at your phone. But it's interesting that so far what's been really big has been filters. That's like the biggest AR application, I would say that's like the most mainstream. I never even thought of that. That's a and good point. I don't know. Are you guys, it could be because of where I'm at, but like, I just, I just moved in about a house. Um, and I have been playing like crazy because I can't shop right now for yes. things like I, I need a lamp because there are no lights in my house. So I'm like sitting here using the AR function on a lot of the shopping sites to, to see the furniture in my room, which I used to think was the stupidest thing in the world. But now it is like, okay, it is not saving me. But it is actually quite helpful. Um, so I've been using that. And then I'll just say, as someone who has played with AR in factory settings, I think there is a huge opportunity for like home repair that people could be using right now. Like I would love, like, again, I bought a like a 50-year-old house. So I'm like sitting here, I wish there were like 
the AR videos I've tried for like wiring like airplane engines, because those are the kind of demos I get to do. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could bring that to my like fixing the leak in my sink. And I, I think that would be kind of awesome. And I think the quarantine's probably a really good time for stuff like that. Okay. I don't know. All right. If the technology were ready, I think that's a part of the problem. One of the reasons Magic Leap ran out of runway is it's harder to do this stuff. App. The, so one of the big stories this week comes from the information. Uh, according to the information, Apple is working with Foxconn, their big manufacturing arm, uh, to develop semi-transparent lenses for AR glasses. And they're actually in trial production. They're literally making thousands of these. Um, according to the information, the lenses are one to two years away from mass production, but they are making making them for testing and so forth. So uh, this confirms a story that Mark Gurman had, who's also a great Apple rumor uh, distributor uh, over at Bloomberg. He said uh, that Apple will have a VR-like pair of glasses in 2021, and in 2022 or 23, they will have actual spectacles that are AR spectacles. Phil, is this match what you've been hearing? Um, yeah, but I've also, you know, I'm still waiting for the transparent iPhone from 2017. <laughs> okay, Scoble owes me something for that because that <laughs> never happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I think, so I always, I have a hard time thinking about technology advancements in the abstract uh, I prefer to think of what are the actual use cases that are going to be magical? Like, what do we want to do? So when we're thinking about AR, like, it's easier to think about, okay, if I had this, like, AR headset that was, you know, that was on all the time, well, how would it improve meetings, for example? Um, and, you know, we can, we actually designed a bunch of, a bunch of storyboards and features about what we would do to make meetings better with AR headsets. Uh, this was even back in Evernote times. But now... All of my meetings are looking at a monitor, right? So I can like I can take some of those ideas of how would we make meetings better if we had like ambient always on information, and we could just apply them. We don't need we don't need AR, right? Our 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 actual reality has moved into big monitors for at least you know the next months or or a couple of years, or at least a large part of it will be. Um, and so I think it's really interesting to sort of take the use cases that we've been storyboarding and designing uh, for AR and just see, okay, well, now that our reality has moved online so much, how do we just introduce this? And we don't need the, we don't need the, 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 the headset anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a 37 inch monitor strapped to the front of my face for 14 <laughs> hours a day now. Sadly. Yes. Um, you know, it all just kind of works. And then once we have those use cases figured out, whether they be in, you know, entertainment or yeah. Uh, home repair or, you know, improving meetings or productivity or how we communicate, eventually, sure, we'll be getting out of the house more and more again. And hopefully by then we'll have, uh, we'll have better AR headsets and hardware and we can, we can port some of those use cases over to it. Um, the, the problem I had with Magic Leap, for example, was always that like, it was shockingly cool. Like I loved using it, but I, I, I never heard of like, well, okay, well, what are the actual yeah, what do you do with this? Would yeah. be great. Other than a couple of ones that, you know, everyone talked about, which was like uh, uh, training neurosurgeons. For some reason, there was always like, a, well, you can use it to like train brain surgeons. <laughs> I know. So, if you see a brain surgeon working on you and he's wearing Magic Leap, I'd, I'd, I'd run if you can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like remember, somebody looking at the manual. 
<laughs> well, it's like it's like uh, I think Leo, you and I are roughly uh, roughly the same age. Uh, I think, um, or maybe exactly. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, when personal computers first started becoming a thing, there was but there wasn't really like a lot of commercial software yet. The computer manufacturers would always like sell you the idea that like oh you could you can if you buy this Atari computer you can use it to there's always two use cases there's always a uh, balance your checkbook yes. and store your recipes yes there's always like balance your checkbook and store your recipes both I, categories have not, died by the way they I'm still not sure what balancing a checkbook means I don't think I've ever done it but <laughs> oh, but those were the two things and like right. for AR it was always like yeah you can use it to train brain surgeons right. Uh, uh, that is the that is the balance your checkbook and store your recipes. That's what happens when we don't know what's going to happen. We make yeah. up uh, weird use cases. Focal, which made uh, North, which made the Focal One glasses and was a, was working on the Focal Two glasses, just got acquired, or it's more like an Aqua Hire uh, by Google. But those were glasses that actually were real. Uh, we had a review on Hands On Technology. Anthony Nielsen, one of our producers, loves them, and that was just notifications. It is a heads up display, and it was just putting notifications. I mean, that's the most obvious use is, is kind of an adjunct to your uh, phone. And There's a really cool pair of smart glasses uh, made by Jins in Japan. Um, these are actually these are normal glasses, but these are by, by Jins. Uh, Jins is, a, is just this really cool Japanese eyewear company. And they have smart glasses that don't have any display. They just have a bunch of sensors. Uh, including by there's like a sensor and, and they look totally like normal glasses. Like you can't tell there's anything like that. It's a new generation. It just looks, looks like glasses. There's a sensor that goes on the bridge of your nose. And by, by basically measuring what's going on with the bridge of your nose, they can detect all sorts of, uh, stress, emotion, focus, fatigue, uh, and just gives you, yeah. So there's a next generation of that, which this is the old generation. Maybe the next generation isn't out yet. Uh, or maybe it is. Uh, maybe oh, look, I like, see. Yeah, this is yeah, the so Jim's meme. Es. Meme, yeah, there's yeah. this, and there's like a new generation of that, uh, either out or coming out. I think, uh, and it's really cool. But it's again, it's a different direction. It's not. It's not AR at all. There's actually no display, but uh, it can do all sorts of things about, you know, telling you about your posture, your focus, your concentration, huh. how fatigued you are. So I think there's, there's um, we've been focusing a lot on like the immersive displays because those are like sexier. But honestly, the first gen and even the second gen of these wearables is probably the sensors are going to be more important than the than the display capabilities. One of the issues is privacy because a lot of early designs had cameras uh, out front. In yeah, fact, I have super creepy. Yeah, that was too soon. I'm with Phil on this because like we were testing the Echo frames. And I don't think many of us need Madame A on their face. No. But if you're that kind of person, it was really helpful just to say something. And, you know, there's something always on you that is receptive to that. And you look at like what Apple's announcing with their um, AirPods and their monitors and things like being able to adjust your hearing it adjust your hearing to what you're seeing on the monitor? I can't remember. But basically tying your motions to things that are happening um, around you. So using that sort of sensor or sensor fusion just to say, hey, I think this is happening with this person. Let me make their life a little bit better by tweaking something. I think that's going to be far more exciting than superimposing the Internet in front of us, in front of the real world, right? Yeah. Because that's kind of a crappy thing to want to do all the time. So uh, you see them. And by the way, these are my fine Snapchat. Oh, Lord. 
<laughs> I thought those were gone. You okay. could see me coming a mile away with my Snapchat glasses on. These are just a camera. In fact, I went back in my Snapchat account and I found all the videos I shot four years ago and then never did any more with these. Uh, I think that that's an interesting uh, approach. Uh, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying, Louise. It's more inward than outward. It's more about uh, life law, uh, you know, um, the actual, the, uh, what, do, what do they call it when you, the, the, uh, when you write all the information down about what you're doing or life logging, like, like life logging or, yeah, the, the quantified, quantified, quantified self, that kind of thing. Maybe yeah. that's what we want. That's kind of what these gens do, right? They're kind of, they're looking at yeah. your emotions. You and, know, so Bose has a set out of the Bose frames, which, uh, have some sensors, but also just really good speakers. Uh, which they're, are pretty cool. So they're they're, they're going to kill their AR acoustic yeah, AR yeah. effort, though. Oh, really? And I was sad about that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but again, it never really made sense as a as a audio AR. First of all, because that's clearly ought to be pronounced R. R. You didn't do it, so it's <laughs> Um But 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 I, I've got two pairs of of, of these. Uh, really? I put I put prescription lenses in them. Yeah, we were we were hacking around on them to make some. Uh, just make some apps for them. And it's, uh, you know, like a lot of things, the product itself is like, you know, early, uh, but it's a really magical experience to have very high quality personal audio uh, that, that doesn't cover your ears at all. And it's very interesting social uh, signaling. Hmm. Like people right. don't see your ears covered, so they're more likely to talk to you. Right. You know, I now I only vaguely remember interacting with other people like in the same room. Um, so not like none of this stuff, I think makes sense in the, in the lockdown world, but you know, hopefully soon we'll again, we'll be out of our apartments again and that kind of stuff will make sense. But again, the Bose ones are very cool and, uh, no display, uh, just sensors and speakers. Chat room says if I, uh, just had a bowler hat, I'd look like Roger Stone in these Snapchat spectacles. Ooh, I think, yeah. I think they're right. <laughs> it's what, so this is interesting. Is this market driven or is it company driven you know all the tech companies are looking for the next big thing i mean that's that's i think it's just tech driven like i mean i think what it is is we're thanks to really cheap sensors right you've got amazing ability to process you've got you know on the device we can do and it you've got everybody yeah. carries a freaking supercomputer that they can connect via bluetooth to this and you're like wait what can you do with this right and I don't, I mean, I'm really excited. Like you can tell, like if you stick a earphone in and it's talking to somebody from Bose and they were like, you can get galvanic skin response. You can get heart rate information. That's super accurate. Uh, we got into this whole metaphysical conversation about like how everybody's hearing is different. And so what if you like the perception of the world that people have, you could actually change their perspective slash perception a little bit by, you know, tweaking the way they hear the world. And I don't, I mean, if you're a researcher studying this, that's fascinating. Of course, you're going to try to build something that takes advantage of that. It was probably five years ago that we had Jerry Ellsworth on uh, demonstrating her very early AR gaming. And she's getting close now with her product Tilt 5. They're in pre-order mode where it's a tabletop game. You're wearing these uh, spectacles. You have this this wand and you can play games that on the table in front of you that uh, kind of come to life a little bit like Microsoft showed with the uh, Minecraft on the table with the HoloLens. 
Um, this is a kind of an interesting uh, slant on it as well. I feel like everybody's kind of nibbling around the edges of this, but nobody has but, yet found the killer app. Maybe it'll be you, Phil. That's quite likely. Yeah. Um, but, but the, <laughs> you know, what, what, what these things are is, yeah, like a lot of them are tech-driven, a lot of them are company-driven. What very few of them are, are, are user-driven. Well, that's my these, question, yeah. These aren't yeah. user-centric designs. This yeah. is the textbook definition of a not user-centric design process. We can do it, so we're going to build it and hope that somebody wants it. I had a, I had yeah. a, exact, and no one says like, well, what, what does a person like describe storyboard in a, in a high fidelity way? What is the magical experience for the end user? Right. And a lot of companies don't get around to that until they put a decade of R and D work into it. And then they just need to like shove something out the door. Right. That rarely is successful. Go ahead, Louise. I was just going to say that I think that's totally right. This is not user centric. I think that there's a huge race to sell people the next personal tech item, right? There's kind of been all of this uh, fuss in the last couple of years about smart speakers, about things like that that you could have in your home. There was kind of the whole um, rush about AirPods and, you know, the next generation of headphones. But if there's going to be another device like glasses that we're going to take everywhere with us, um, that would be huge. So I think that there's a really big push for like, let's sell you another form of hardware that you're going to need all the time. Um, and it seems natural, right? Like it, it's not very good to have a uh, phone neck. You know, I think we would all love a kind of uh, <laughs> technology where you're looking straight, right? And it like actually yeah. integrates the world because like your cell phone doesn't integrate with the world well. You know, it sucks to walk around looking down at your phone and trying to get where you're going or answer messages, et cetera. Um, but you know, I don't know if anybody really asked for glasses. It just seems like the natural step. Um, and it'll be really up to these companies to see, but everyone's doing it, right? It's like even Apple has these glasses now. I mean, yeah. uh, Amazon has these glasses now that they're yeah. working on too. Yeah. The Alexa glass. Lisa, that's my, what we tried. Yeah. 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 Lisa, Amazon my wife like just bought a long arm with a clamp on it, uh, uh, that she could clamp to exercise equipment that would hold her iPad over her head. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> this is exactly it. This is consumer demand. But, uh, <laughs> well, and like imagine like an Uber driver, for example. Like, that's a great use case for this sort of stuff. Cause I, every time I get in a, a ride hailing car, or whatever, you see that they have that like same, it's like an arm that they have attached yeah, to their yeah. uh, computer uh, car, right? It's the same thing. And it's like, seems like getting rid of all of those weird, you know, movable arms would be awesome, but so in a way, okay. I think the, the that it is user driven, uh, at least in the sense that we know users love their smartphones and are kind of viscerally connected to them. They're I would break it up just a little bit. Users love and need their screen, and but I think that's actually a mistake. I feel like we're like, you need the screen, right? The Uber, the television, but you can't put a screen on your glasses, which is where a lot of things have been kind of focused, right? But when we actually try that as people, we're like, yes, for certain jobs. So maybe if you're an Uber driver, but I think most of us probably, maybe I'm crazy, don't want to walk around looking at the screen all no, the time. No, that's why I, we that's want something either in spectacles or in our ear that we want that, if we want that, whatever, what is, and by the way, Let's be honest. It's not an information thing. We're junkies. And we want to somehow jack in all the time to that doom scroll feed, whatever it yeah. is. Right? Yeah. I, think that's I, don't, definitely I, don't, I mean, 
maybe that is, yeah, that's probably part of it for a lot of people. I would like it so I could like get somewhere because I have the world's worst sense of direction. I'm like, I would be happy if my glasses would just vibrate. Yeah. Well, actually, I no, I'm with you. I love that in the Apple Watch. That you have to use Apple Maps. I never want to, but but if you use Apple Maps, the directions show up on your watch while you're driving, or better yet, even while you're while you're walking. That's really useful, and it buzzes at you and tells you to turn left and all. I like that. I agree with you. That's a good point, though, because despite how useful that is in a lot of ways, watches, smart watches, have also remained a relatively niche consumer product. Right. Like it's like, you know, you never meet anyone who doesn't have a smartphone anymore, but. You know, if you have an Apple Watch, it's like, okay, cool, you have an Apple Watch. It's not like out of the ordinary, but I can count, you know, my friends on one hand probably that use their Apple Watch every day. I think we're at 20% on wearables, actually. So Apple, Fitbit, those kind of things. It's, it's doing not better it's than like, it, we thought it would, perhaps. It's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, I see a lot more people with Apple Watches than before. And I even myself, you know, at first the Apple Watch was, eh, no big deal. Now I wear it every day. I have to have it on. I feel like a Fitbit, like, even though we're going to, it's obviously like in the wearables category, I feel like it's a little different and you're not getting that same like integration of like Apple maps the way that you would. Right. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's more than I would have expected, but it's still pretty small. It's, I mean, maybe it's, it's failed because it's too small. It's not, you can't use it. So it's like, it's like, it's almost there, but you just, it's not that usable. I think is the problem. It's like the well, slightly more polite. Yeah. Way to be addicted to tech because exactly. it's like, oh, you, you're still like glancing at your watch all but the time. But I can't scroll through TikTok you. on my watch. If I could, maybe maybe I would be doing that all the time. But okay, you're wearing it all the time. Two... It serves a function. Oh, I'm sorry. Phil. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah, okay. Phil, go ahead. I, I think there's two main like approaches to product design that like that that I've seen that I've tried to be involved with. Uh, and both of them kind of taken to the extreme generally produce pretty crappy results. There's like there's the, the there's a design that is very user centric that's specifically about solving like real problems, often problems that are actually so common that they're they're hard to see because everyone just kind of takes them for granted, and you just solve those problems and you right. don't care if the resulting product is like ugly or anything like that. And like the ultimate example of that is like I don't know like the cup phone, this thing that you see like advertised all the yeah, time. Yeah, right? the WeatherTech cup, cup phone. I actually yeah, bought one. Cup phone, right. <laughs> First of all, it's not a cup phone; it's a phone cup. <laughs> Right? Just let's get that straight. But second of all, like obviously that wasn't designed because somebody was like, okay, people are looking for something else to shove into their cup holder. No, no. Right? No, but but it was a real problem. Like people have a hard time. There's like, no getting, good way to holder. get a, a phone holder. Oh, That's right. I didn't – I never even knew this existed, you guys. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'll give you mine. But like, <laughs> but I don't need one. But I'm like, like, oh, I know. So many people could look, use this. <laughs> okay, sorry, like, Phil. Right. No, no, no disrespect to WeatherTech or whoever. It's an, it's an The product is ugly. It's got a stupid name. It's all crappy of plastic. And I'm sure they're making – It totally solves like a real problem. Yeah. And this is like great – user-centric design the opposite example of the and it was like i'm not sure how much they spent on r&d but i'm guessing it was like not hundreds zero of dollars, <laughs> yeah. right and the opposite example of that is some of this like very tech-driven stuff it's the 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 the, the ar headsets it's things that are right. Uh, right. entirely driven by a company thinking okay we need to capitalize on this on this tech trend it's not solving any problem no one asked for it they're spending a lot of of, of uh, a lot of money on on research on design, uh, and often what's what, what's produced is like amazingly impressive and like thoughtful and and sometimes beautiful, but it's not user centric, right? Right, and like the best products are are in the Venn diagram intersection of those two things, where it's like you've identified an actual real problem, often a problem that is 
so common that no one else is even talking about it because we all have it. <clears throat> Therefore, it's hard to even point out. And then you apply like, okay, just enough technology to solve it in an elegant way, in a way that couldn't have been solved a few years ago. But you're not like, you're not bending over backwards to use the newest technology. Like that, that's what we try to do. That's what we try to do with, you know, with this product. With mm -hmm. We said like, all of us right now hate being on video meetings 14 hours a day. It's really tiresome. It's boring. Okay. That's a real problem. That is like, that is the cup phone problem. But let's try to solve that in a way that's like that's a little elegant. bit more elegant yeah. than, you know. And so like, it's, it's that Venn diagram intersection that we're, that we're always striving for. And very often in a bunch of these other projects like Magic Leap, like they were way on one side of the spectrum or That's a good or point. Another. Find the middle. I love this framework, Phil. It's so smart. I will never forget the Isn't cup that phone. Isn't that smart? Yeah. Although that... I will say I kind of want a cup phone now. Because, oh, I have uh, one. <laughs> they are pretty great. I've got one. They're pretty great. My partner and I just got a car on Craigslist and it's too old to have um, right. like whatever we don't have you can't display directions in the middle oh, console or whatever right, so right. it's really annoying but i think the cup phone would solve our Perfect. issues Perfect. <laughs> they and also the have the, like, the mounts that go in the air vent yeah i've done yeah, those. I've seen those it's a lot I, better than those the cup phone better. never dropped it's actually a yeah. good product it's just well it comes with like six cups because you have to size <laughs> you have to figure out you have to oh size it has to fit your cup holder and apparently i didn't know this there are many different sizes of cup holders so you figure out which cup the, and now I have, and I don't want to ever throw them out in case I get a different car. <laughs> I have these cups, these extra cups lying well, around. Well, I will let you know if we don't have the same cup, I will take your... You can well, take my extra cups. cups my order, you can take but, yeah, my extras. But... Yeah, I have extra cups. Thank you. Good to know. <laughs> it, it would be better if it weren't kind of cheap plastic. It's not, it should, you know, if it's your, if Apple made it, it would be milled aluminum. And yeah, it, would it would cost like thousand dollars. Yeah, but it'd be five thousand dollars. Yeah. but you know, it would be okay. It would be perfect. Yeah. You could touch it, and it would, you know, it would balance perfectly. This not, this not, not so. I love that Venn diagram. Wait a minute, close. Wait, wait, wait. Some segments of the economy will never recover. So it's a Venn diagram. On the left, it says clothes you don't need to work from home. And then on the right says clothes you can't wear in front of a giant. Look how small he made himself in front of a giant in front of a green screen. And then in the Venn diagram, the intersection of that is green pants. <laughs> and I will say also, I appreciate the yellow and blue combining to green. To that green. Was like oh, it's clever. Yeah. Attention to detail. It was a nice, it was a nice touch of the, yeah. yeah. This is Carlos. One of our illustrators made it. And I'm like, Carlos, this is a lot nicer than I expected. There crazy. is no future for green pants. Yeah. But we did, we COVID made, you know, we made green pants emoji for Slack. And now like in, 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 <laughs> You know, if something gets labeled with a green pants emoji, that means like, yeah, this is a ridiculously unnecessary thing that no one will ever need again. So, the green pants is the ultimate, the ultimate product design that you don't want to be in. That right is now. fantastic. That is so good. We're, you know, it's really nice to have smart people on the show who can, I can learn and I'm learning. I'm learning right now. I think that's great. Thank you, Phil Libin, for being here. Louise Matsakis from Wired Magazine, Stacey Higginbotham. What a fantastic panel i'll find some more meat you can sink your teeth into in just a little bit but first a word from worldwide technology last trip i'll always remember this is the last trip i took before shelter in place we went out to st louis to visit with worldwide technology and i was actually blown away this is a company that does enterprise technology for big and medium-sized companies they help them integrate it they help them solve problems 
And they're amazing. They're amazing. Their advanced technology center, we saw that was incredible. Uh, WWT, that's the, that's the initials, one of the top technology solution providers in the world, delivering business and technology outcomes to large private and public organizations all over the globe. Uh, they're really in the business of digital transformation. One of the ways they support organizations by, with this is helping them adopt a multi-cloud architecture. And this is something a lot of people want. Everybody knows we're moving to the cloud, but multi-cloud, the idea of multi-cloud is, well, I don't want to be dependent on any one vendor, but of course it's complex. So you need a partner who can who understands this, who can help you in, in, implement it, who can get it working for you, and that's WWT. They stay with their customers, with their organizations every step of the way from the vision and the strategy to the enablement to the migration to the optimization to the management all the way and everything in between. Their cloud consultants will sit down with you, formulate a vision and a strategy because they know you've got to do that up front. It's re they're really uh, one of the things WWT is brilliant on is process. They spend a lot of energy and time studying process and figuring out what's the best way to do this. They know that investments in these cloud architectures only pay off if they align to your business goals, for instance. So they'll, they'll work with you through briefings, through workshops. They do this with some of the biggest organizations in the world to unravel the complexities of the cloud so that you can do what you're really there to do. It's not about the cloud for you. It's about unlocking business opportunities, and that's what WWT supports. They're experts in cloud migrations. They do application development, too. In fact, some amazing stuff. I, that completely surprised me. I had no idea about that part of the company. They can create for you a secure landing zone in any cloud with on-demand labs that give organizations access to tools for microservices and cloud-native development. Once you're up in the cloud, WWT helps with management. That's also a problem, right? Optimization, because they know it's a continuum. You don't just put it up there and forget it. You, you've got to continually pay attention to it, and especially in a detailed way. Whether the strategy calls for cloud-native, hybrid cloud, or on-prem resources, it doesn't matter. WWT works closely with you, their customers, and with Intel to optimize for the latest cloud-smart solutions based on Intel technology for security, for performance, for agility. They also feature Intel Optane Persistent Memory. I love this stuff really interesting technology. Other Intel technologies, workload optimized to deliver affordable, large capacity and data persistence for solutions supporting everything from VDI to data analytics. Great company. They call themselves Silicon Valley in St. Louis, but they're available anywhere in the world 24-7. If you want to know more about why organizations across the globe in every industry, in government and private, turn to WWT to guide them on their cloud journey, just go to the website. There's lots of information there, including all the incredible info on the Advanced Technology Center. It's w, That's their lab. It's incredible. WWT.com slash twit. Don't forget, if you create a MyWWT account there, you can access resources throughout WWT's ATC ecosystem. Half a billion dollars in uh, enterprise technology in the ATC. It's, uh, we, we visited it. It started in one little building. It's spread to four or five now. It's kind of mind-boggling. WWT dot com slash twit worldwide technology delivering business and technology outcomes all over the world we had a fun week uh, this week including during our after hours uh, on friday a game of clue i thought we we should all enjoy this little movie previously on twit 
Oh, shoot. I already knew that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you're not supposed to play the game. The, the subtitle of this is People Playing Clue Badly. <laughs> People without a clue. <laughs> so true. Hands-on tech. If you want true wireless earphones that emphasize sound over everything else, then you're going to want to check this review out. It's the Sennheiser Momentum True Wireless 2 earphones. Tech News Weekly. We had this Smart Home Summit, and it kind of covered for developers uh, what Google has brought forth in the smart home. The next Android 11, when it comes out, is going, you're going to be able to touch the power button on your phone, and you're going to be able to see your smart home stuff. I got to tell you, I love this feature. Security Now. Still, in this day and age, 123456 turns out to comprise one out of every 142 passwords. That's crazy. Found on the internet. This week in Google. Yeah, amusement parks are reopening, but because screaming is dangerous, in Japan, they're saying you may ride the roller coaster, but you cannot scream. Please scream inside your heart. That's exactly how I feel. Twit. We're all screaming inside <laughs> screaming our inside heart right our now. <laughs> that is the phrase of the week. We're screaming in our hearts. Uh, holy cow. Stacy, you uh, paid close attention to that smart home event. Um, I'm not you, all over the smart home, but could you summarize a little bit? I was like, do I have to summarize it for the third time this week? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to, it's, they, no, they've got a new program called new... works with Google, right? It's works with, Hey G I'm going to, oh. it's, it's the whole, I don't want to set anyone's phone off. Right. Um, okay. So the branding around the event was works with, Hey G they still called it works with G when they were talking about it, which felt a little anti-Google because they usually are pretty good on their branding. They used to have works with Nest. But the big news from that thing was actually, one, I never want to do a like media product launch thing again. Having it virtual was awesome because it was so efficient. Yeah. That's just me. No, I'm with you. I don't want, I'm never going to another trade show ever again. They borrowed from Apple with putting the home, the home kit, home app on the phone that's easily accessible. So when you're on your Android phone, you hit the power button and you will now see, or in Android 11, you will see all of your smart home devices and you can control them really quickly and easily from the app. So that's good. They also brought local control, which is good for latency. So things are happening faster in your home. Most of the partners are lighting focused and then there's also tile. Um, And then they introduced shed devices, which is, Smart home entertainment devices. So that's TVs, that sort of thing, bringing the AV component into the works with Google ecosystem. And those are kind of the big things. I feel like there was one thing that I missed, but maybe you'll ask me about it. No, I'm done. Thank you very much, Stacey. (laughs) Great. Third time's a charm. (laughs) Stacey is, at least when you lived in Austin, you had a very... Smart home. Are you going to reinstall all of that stuff in the new house? Yeah. Well, I'm going to reinstall new stuff in the new house. Nice. I, so yes, I will. I will once again make my life miserable so nobody else has to. It's your husband. Um, I really feel for. You should. He's really <laughs> and my daughter. They're both very patient. Very patient. People. Mom, tell me again how we open the blinds. <laughs> the nice thing. The nice thing is I'm no longer traveling. 
So it's not like they have to call me up in the middle of the night wherever I am and they're like, I don't know how this works. <laughs> all the, the lights came shooting. on all at once. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I get the feeling Louise does not have a smart home. I do not. I don't have any uh, smart home devices. I'm pretty like low tech, which is uh, kind of boring sometimes. I do like some fun gadgets, but I don't even have an external monitor when I'm working from home, which a lot of people find what? very What? You upset. work on a laptop, but you don't have anything else. It's just a laptop. It's just a laptop. Is that wow. scary? No, ergonomically, I'm... that's bad for you. Oh, I know. That's I why know. you've it's got like... phone neck. It's laptop neck. But I move around a lot, so I feel like I've tried to use a monitor, but then I just end up on the couch or on the bed, and it never really sticks. But my partner has two external monitors, and I think his back is in a lot better shape than mine. Yeah. So I will agree I'm in the wrong here. Yeah. But no, I don't. I don't think you're in the wrong. I think you're in the in the right. I think it's also generational because I think young maybe it's because you're not yet fully settled. And so you don't want to put in a smart thermostat and a smart lock and smart lamps and all that stuff. That's kind of more middle-aged where you're kind of, okay, we're going to really trick this place out. But I don't, I don't think anybody in your generation cares one whit about this stuff, which doesn't bode well gonna, for its future. So I, I was going to tell homeowners, which is a good point, but yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're not, if you're renting, that's the last thing you want to do. But I even look at my daughter, I gave her, she's 28. I gave her, uh, a Google uh, Home, you know, n- n- what do they have? The Nest, Hum Nest Home. The Mini? The, I don't know. the Home the or the screen. Mini? The screen. Oh, thing the display. You Smart talk display. To. And, you know, she likes it, but she uses it in a very minimal way, you know. And then I look at myself and I kind of do too. Um, I use it for a kitchen timer mostly. What were you going to say, though, Stacey? Do you think that my generation will catch on to these things more as we, like, perhaps, maybe, I doubt it, but maybe have more homeownership? Yeah. People, so there are three times in your life that people apparently buy smart home devices. It's when you buy a new home, when you have a baby, and right after you've been robbed. (laughs) Makes total sense. It does. (laughs) I was going to recommend something for you, because I just got one for my daughter, and so far she's using it. So um, I just got her a USB-C hub, like an Anker one, but they, they come in like any normal things. And she just plugs everything into it. And when she and, and it carries power over, too. So you can just when you you have a setup. So when you're like kind of feeling all icky, you can just plug right into it. And you're then in an ergonomically correct place for like an hour. And then you can go away. Again. It's like a dock. I, want, I can't pick mine up because I will disengage from the ethernet if I do that. However, I have one right next to me and I love it. And it's the best thing ever, especially because I have a MacBook Pro. So I have no ports whatsoever. You need the dongles. Yes, yeah. that's, that's yeah. why. Yes. Okay. So good. no, it's so good. No, that's like the best uh, suggestion and everyone should get one of them because it's at least you can just like yeah escape the ergonomic zone when I need to. That is going <laughs> to be so depressing the Silicon Valley. We've done a lot of market research and we've discovered what millennials really want <laughs> USB hubs. I love mine. It's great. Oh my God. It's the worst news ever. <laughs> Phil are you uh, where do you land on this? Are you automated? Uh, yeah, I am the dumbest thing in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you have smart do, lights smart key kitchen all that stuff or oh no no actually i have no smart home stuff it's just still a true statement though <laughs> <laughs> so even though you have a dumb home you're even yeah, dumber almost, is that what you're saying yeah, <laughs> i'm hearing that he has cats 
Oh, I used yeah. to own a house and uh, it had a lot of smart home stuff in it. Uh, but I think I, I kind of went through that phase and, yeah. you know, now now on the other side of it. Uh, I do I do have a bunch of uh, the thing that you can't say its name or else it'll wake up and, okay, and who? start yeah. talking to. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I guess I use that. Once you, in a while. Are you Amazon, Google or Apple? I am mostly Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you mostly. worry do that wanna, it, it, there was a really good piece we talked about on this week in Google uh, on Wednesday in Current Affairs, the Bezos future, Nathan Robinson, and it really painted a very dystopian, bleak future in which essentially Amazon rules the world. Do you you don't do you worry about Amazon's market dominance? And it's not just selling stuff. You know, the goal is to completely control all transactions everywhere. So I worry about tons of stuff, uh, but I, I think Amazon, my take, and, and, and ultimately this question is you know above my pay grade, but I think Amazon is net positive for the world. Um, I think the world is better off because Amazon exists in many ways, but that's not to say that it's not also pretty, you know, pretty dangerous in, in, in the power that it has. But ultimately, I think like the way I analyze these big companies is which ones have fundamentally aligned business models and, and which ones have misaligned business models. And I think Apple, as an example, has a pretty aligned business model. Like Apple wants you to desire their expensive phones and you want to buy their expensive phones. And so it's all kind of OK. They just want you to buy phones uh, and, and other devices. So it's like, is it good or bad? It's like hard to say, but it's at least like everyone's everyone wants the We're same all in thing. alignment. Yeah. Amazon's model is pretty much in alignment. Yeah. Like you want to buy. They want to sell. At yeah. a low price and they want to sell it to you. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. You know, Facebook's business model is fundamentally misaligned. Oh, that's a good point. Fundamentally. Like you want to be there to talk to your friends or whatever and they want to target you with ads. And yes. you don't You don't want the ads. And it's right. like a fundamental misalignment. You know, Google's business model is – very much aligned around their initial core business, which was search ads, right? Like search ads are the only ads that are aligned. Like if I'm if I'm Googling for something, it's because I have a high intention of, of getting it. And so if they show me an ad for it, that's actually not bad. That's pretty good alignment. But they're pretty misaligned in almost every other business. Brilliant. And when you look at the places yes. where they get into trouble, it's in their misaligned business. Right. They don't get into much trouble with the search ads, even though that's like the bulk of their revenue. They get into trouble with like YouTube, which is fundamentally misaligned, right? Like YouTube doesn't want what what YouTube viewers want. Right. So in that sense, like I worry a lot less about Amazon because I think they're, yeah, they're a giant, very powerful company. But I kind of, I understand the business model and it's aligned with what customers want. I worry more about some of the these other companies which have, uh, which have no real alignment. The risk though with the that article. alignment is it's very effective. It's like a flywheel and yeah. it becomes very, very powerful. Sorry, Luis, go ahead. I think, yeah, I think your misalignment point is really interesting because I think that we also have to think about the scale of that, right? Like, so it seems aligned for customers in the short term to get a spatula in one day or less. <laughs> However, the consequences of that for the environment, for the workers involved, exactly. uh, for the third party sellers whose intellectual property was ripped off and Amazon did nothing about it, uh, I don't think are really aligned. So I think it's and like they, they what, put Spatula City out of business as we Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I think like, you know, what happens when 
all of this, you know, retail innovation of these like small companies, which are basically forced to be Amazon sellers because that's the main platform. Uh, you know, I've just seen them be treated so poorly uh, by Amazon because they're not really incentivized to, uh, they are, they should be, but I think that they've gotten so big that they're not necessarily incentivized to help these small sellers. Um, and a lot of them have moved away or tried to, but I think that Amazon is so big. But with that said, I do think some of the things that are held up as like the scariest things about Amazon, for example, like the fact that they're selling um, uh, generic label products that are similar to, you know, other products for sale that people hold that up a lot as like, oh, well, like Amazon's trying to do everything. And, you know, they're, they're selling all these generic products. It's like, have you been inside Sephora? Have you been in a Walgreens? Like, I don't find that very scary, but I do think like, what is the end of like, you know, a drone is going to bring you whatever you want in an hour or less. Like that's kind of what seems to be Bezos's vision. And I do worry about the consequences of that for, and so their own employees, right. About for the environment for, you know, we're just going to have houses full of cheap stuff that we uh, mindlessly bought on Amazon. I do worry about things like that. And their alignment is to do as much of that as possible. And that sort of thing I worry about. Um, and I do worry that like my values are not really aligned with Bezos's often and he has, you know, enormous only increasing power. Um, so there are things to be worried about, but yeah, I don't know if there's a, you know, it's like they're giving us, Amazon's giving us what we want, quote unquote, but is that what we're going to want in the long term and what's good for like the health of the planet and for ourselves? I don't know. I felt bad when I was ordering a lot of stuff on prime and I don't have a prime account anymore. And I think I do. Yeah. A lot less like uh, mindless consumption because of it. Interesting. How do you balance out though the the concerns about the, you know, I so I think everything you said it, it resonates with me. Uh, I wonder though, like how you weigh hypothetical future problems, like future dangers that Amazon could pose if they if they act in certain ways against like actual harm being done by other companies right now in the way that they are acting. Like, I think I, that I, Amazon is posing a tremendous risk to the environment right now and that global warming is happening right now. And it's not something we have to think about as hypothetical. And we know that like, you know, their injury rate is far above the average for, you know, in similar sorts of situations. I think that like sometimes Amazon is held up as this labor boogeyman, perhaps because they're so big. And I think that we have to look at like, you know, labor practices across the board. But I do think that these harms are already occurring. Like they definitely are already happening. Um, and I think that, you know, to Amazon's credit, after they got so much pushback about the environment, you know, I think it's phenomenal that Jeff Bezos wants to donate so much of his wealth to this issue and that they have, you know, really strengthened their climate policies. But for a long time, you know, Amazon just was like, it was like crickets about the environment, whereas a lot of their, you know, competitors, which I know it's hard to compare Apple or Google to Amazon because, you know, they're very fundamentally different businesses in some ways. But, you know, I think we're leading the way on climate and Amazon was just kind of silent until their own employees started really acting up about this. Um, I would also yeah. prefer a more heterogeneous environment. I worry that if it's a, it becomes the company store, uh, then that's when we see the most predacious behavior. Yeah, we like it now. But wouldn't it be in our interest to encourage competition to Amazon just so that we do have choice down the road? Well, yeah, and, I mean, and that's a hypothetical. So maybe, right? That that would make sense, but that isn't. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the environmental impact, the labor impact, are very real, and and and, and I think that, you know need to be and happening. Pressure now. needs to continue being <laughs> yeah. applied to it. Um, 
a lot, but a lot of the other stuff is hypothetical. Like the well, are we going to regret it when there's no other options and they're going to jack up prices? Well, that's you know. That I think maybe, I think we saw not. a little bit of that though during the coronavirus when a lot of stuff couldn't be delivered via Amazon, right. and suddenly we were like, you can't get it. Oh. I can't get my we'll we'll go with spatula because I actually had to buy one. Uh, <laughs> and all the all the stores downtown are gone. Well, they were both they closed compete. and I didn't have a place anywhere right. nearby that I could get one. But I, I think You don't have a spatula city in uh, in your town? <laughs> I don't. I do have a kitchenware spatula store. City. But they would <laughs> Amazon so, so here's a competitor coming along the pike. Walmart is gonna start an Amazon Prime competitor this month. $98 a year. It'll be called Walmart Plus. Same day, same day delivery of groceries, fuel discounts, and other perks. Of course, Walmart can do the same day because they have retail outlets in a great part of the United States. Um, so, uh, it's in, Louise, you decided not to have a Prime account. Would you consider a Walmart Plus account? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, and it's not, it wasn't like, you know, this political statement. I think sometimes when I tell people, yeah, I got rid of my prime account, it was not, you know, of course, like, I think that it's important, you know, especially as someone who covers this company, I think it's, you know, it would be a little bit, uh, hypocritical if I was covering this company critically and, you know, I was ordering prime packages every single day, you know, there are reporters who do that and that's fine, but it wasn't like a holier than thou decision. I was just like, I was buying stuff when I thought about it and then I would order it so quickly on the Amazon app and then get it and be like, oh, you know, I really kind of wanted this two days ago, but I didn't really need it. You know, like it's just so frictionless. And I think that that's what they're encouraging, right? That is the, that's the alignment that they want for you. So I don't want anything like that. That just makes it way too easy to it's buy too, things. It's too good. <laughs> it's too good. Yeah. I think it's like, I, I want to be more careful and more intentional about what I buy and, and where from. Yeah. Um, but with that and said, I have like waited three weeks for an Amazon order when I couldn't find when I wanted any anywhere else. And I'm like, they're really punishing me for not having Prime now because now I've waited like four weeks for this mm -hmm. thing that a Prime no, person would have gotten. It's worse. Day. It's worse because you can even have Prime and still be, lately that's been happening a lot, still be waiting right. three weeks. And then you really feel like a sucker. Go ahead, uh, Stacey. Well, that, and that's what I was going to say. This idea of being aligned they are aligned with, yeah, consumers want to buy, you know, housefuls of cheap stuff. And I, I don't think that that's, that's fine for businesses. But then if we go with that, then we have to say as a society, and this gets us into government, which I know everyone has a knee-jerk reaction against government, but that's kind of the stuff that we want to have regulations around. So if we're going to say, hey, Amazon will deliver me the absolute cheapest, fastest, whatever I want, they're going to do it at the expense of maybe workers. They're going to do it at the expense of environmental policy. Then we need to have more robust rules to protect the things we value and add costs to the things that, you know, in that, that stands in the way of our consumer wants. And that's kind of the goal of that sort of thing. Right. Um, but we just don't think like that. It's frustrating. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. And, and I don't, I don't think that, uh, business model alignment with the with the with the with the customer with the end user is sufficient to to make a virtuous company but i think it's necessary so i think if you don't if you don't even have the alignment then i i, I can't even i won't even know where to begin yeah. trying to figure right. out how to how that to makes sense. Yeah. like that yeah phil what would you say now like i'm curious about 
what you think now, especially that Amazon's advertising business is growing so much. Like, I do wonder about that because like, you know, in search results, for example, they're becoming more like Google, which is kind of interesting because you're getting potentially the person who paid the most to be that search result on Amazon, not necessarily like the best product anymore. So I think that they're kind of playing with fire there because people do trust that alignment a lot of ways, but now they're kind of like, "Mm, we're going to mess with it a little bit by having, you know, paid search results, uh, paid, you know, suggested items and that sort of thing, which is kind of um, interesting to watch. Yeah. And there's a ton of concerning things just around like fake reviews, but also like how they, how they pick the, yeah, how they pick the the like the Amazon Choice thing, uh, you know that that feels yeah, that, oh, that's, that's really dirty. Yeah, really. So there's lot yeah. yeah, there's lots of things there that are definitely you know sketchy, and I think we need to keep uh, you know we need to keep kind of constant vigilance uh, on, on a company this powerful. Do you think we've changed but, our tune in the last six months about government regulation that maybe people are a little more amenable to an effective government than they were before COVID-19. For the record, I'd be fine waiting at least another six months until we have new government regulations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Pull off for just a little bit longer. Just wait a little bit longer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're getting new government regulations all the time. They're just the wrong, very scary. The wrong government <laughs> regulations. Yeah. Uh, let's take a little break. Come back. I, you guys are so smart. I am. I'm loving this. Phil Libin is here. All Turtles is his company. His new product. Mm-hmm. Are you on a green screen? Because that is perfect. That is perfect. Uh, I am. Uh, okay. There, it works. It works with and without. It, there's like different modes, and so there's a bunch of stuff you can do that actually works better without a green screen. Like really? a lot of these. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I can do a lot of like. Kind of head in a circle type of stuff, which is pretty cool. That's so like, cool. Yeah. This is so cool. I really like it. This oh, I like. That's yeah. my favorite. I love the yeah. ghost. The ghost. All film. of this stuff yeah. works great. Yeah, without without a green screen, even better. But the the traditional like cutout thing is is the background is yeah. better with a. Green he screen. looks like he's in his New York loft right now. Uh, yeah, a hipster Brooklyn hipster loft. Brooklyn loft. I love it. Stacy Higginbotham is in her hipster <laughs> Seattle loft. <laughs> It's my millennial pink background that will soon have other things on it. It's so great to see you. Stacy on IoT is her website, StacyOnIoT.com. And, of course, sign up for the free newsletter there. It's really good. Louise Mitzak is also here from Wired. It's so nice to see you, Louise. And the things are going well. So smart. I just – it's so fun to do a show with people who have – you know, where you just go, oh, oh, that – oh, oh. I think this is a great lineup. It is a good lineup. It is. I agree with you. Not uh, well, just because I'm part of it, but... Well, you're certainly a third of it. So uh, <laughs> I can say that much. So our show today brought to you by Molecule. Now, I am a Molecule fan. I really am. But Molecule is not what you think it is. And I think they maybe got some bad press from people thinking it was, oh, it's an air filtration system. Oh, it's so much more than that. It's for sick office buildings where the indoor air is actually five times worse than the outdoor air. EPA says that's very common in office spaces. It's an air purifier. That's It's not about filtration. It's about PICO, or photoelectrochemical oxidation. It actually destroys harmful pollutants in the air, like viruses, bacteria, mold, and chemicals. It doesn't filter them or collect them on filters. Molecules air purifiers are designed to help protect homes, businesses, and medical spaces 
destroying pollutants, providing clean air. We have molecules at home, one in our bedroom, and, I, and Lisa always knows when it's not on. We got one from Michael. We use one here in the studio. Molecule air purifiers are designed, well, they have a variety of them. There's the, the big ones designed for large rooms up to 600 square feet. There's the new Molecule Air Mini, smaller rooms, 250 square feet. The Air Mini Plus which helps protect small rooms with a particle sensor and auto-protect mode. So it'll adjust the fan speed based on what's in the air. And also brand new, the Molecule Air Pro RX. It's an FDA-cleared as a 510K Class II medical device. It's intended for medical purposes to destroy, destroy bacteria and viruses in the air. It all relies on this Pico technology. And you can go to the Molecule website and read the white papers. I just read one from uh, Lawrence Labs. Department of Energy Labs, where they tested the molecule collecting three really nasty chemicals that are in a lot of sick offices and other uh, spaces with poor ventilation. Formaldehyde, uh, it's volatile organic uh, compounds like formaldehyde, ozone, uh, and I forgot what the third was. But these are things that are off-gassed by carpets and drapes and so forth. They cleared 95% of the ozone out of the air in minutes, and as soon as uh, it came back on, um, they turned it off. The ozone came back up because it's being off-gassed all the time. It really works. You will notice the difference. Clean air. If you're spending more time at home, is so important. Uh, but when you go back to the office, it might even be more important. The Pico technology meets the performance requirements in the FDA guidance for use in helping reduce the risk of exposure to SARS-CoV-2. Uh, That's the COVID-19 virus in healthcare settings. They got FDA approval. It meets the FDA guidance. In independent testing, they reduced concentrations of MS2, which is a proxy virus they use for testing, over 99.9% in one hour. Of course, obviously, that's not enough to protect you. You still have to do all the other important things like masks and social distancing and washing your hands. But it's sure nice to know that you can run your molecule air purifier and clear the air of those aerosolized particles that quickly, 99.9% in an hour. Molecules technology and filtration systems have been tested and verified by independent third-party labs for the whole home and beyond. Molecule now offers its breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products, including clean air solutions for a variety of environments. Pick the unit that's best for your space. You can also, if you go to the website, create a discounted bundle to protect your entire home office, medical or dental practice. You'll see a lot of them in dentist's offices now. Uh, many businesses. We're really glad we have them here in our studio. Uh, it is a must. For 10% off your first order, your purifier order at Molecule, visit Molecule.com. Enter the code TWIT10 at checkout. This is not your grandpa's air filter. This is something very new, very different, and really works. M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. Enter the offer code TWIT10. Molecule. Really nice. Uh, let us... I want to... We're running... I, wa, I, I know you guys are going to be starving any minute now. <laughs> let me let me do a rundown of some of the other uh, stories, the the mini stories that we can talk about. We mentioned that when Mixer closed down, a couple of streamers were left hanging, but they made a lot of money. Ninja, we think, made more than twenty million dollars when Microsoft lured him away from Twitch. He's now back streaming, but he didn't go back to Twitch. He could have, 
but now he's on YouTube. You got to wonder, did he get another payday? Ninja is the king of Fortnite streamers. So Mixer was a brief flirtation, but he's now on YouTube. I bet you, I, we don't know, but I bet you Mike, uh, uh, Google offered him a little something come over. I'm sure both Twitch and YouTube. And by the way, Facebook too, because they now have a gaming platform. Uh, we're scrambling to make him an offer he could not refuse. He, I kind of feel bad for him, honestly. You do? Like, it must suck. Yeah, I mean, it must suck to like be the like you know premier person on this new platform, and then, and it then dies. Uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's like you know if you made a Quibi show, you know, it's not great. <laughs> I don't feel bad for there are a lot of Hollywood celebrities on Quibi. I don't feel bad. They got a paycheck. It doesn't. Yeah, nobody's but, like there's a lot of journalists too who like you know like. No name journalist such as myself who made things on Quibi and it didn't, you know. Do you have really a Quibi show? No, I do not have a Quibi show. But I mean, you know, people at my oh, level okay. who like, you know, took a risk in their normal career to, you oh, know, be Oh, I, I feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bixer's, a, you know, I mean, uh, Ninja's a little bit bigger than that. But I think that's He whole made a lot of money. Yeah, he probably got a big chunk of change to go there. But I think that's like, now what? It's like you kind of just crawl back. I mean... He has a lot of fans. I'm sure he'll be fine, but it is kind of like it shows that you can't just have one anchor person right. or a couple anchor people and hope right. that that's enough. I think Quibi is another great example of that. You have to have like, I don't know. I think maybe this area is just too saturated the same way that streaming was too saturated. It'd be like if Howard Stern went to Sirius and then the satellite fell out of the sky. It'd be like now he has to put <laughs> well, his tail between like his legs. It sounds like just no one came. I mean, it's kind of like an ego. I mean, it's an ego thing, is what it sounds like you're talking about. That maybe he failed. Yeah. Like he was paid a lot of money to bring an audience, and he didn't. You think that's what happened? I think maybe he brought some of his audience, but like that's one guy. It's like right. it's just not enough to like sustain a it's platform. Asking a lot. It is asking. Yeah. A lot. So what about Quibi? <laughs> you, uh, it sounds like you wrote the obituary, Louise. Do you think it'll? There's is it? There's no hope. I don't know. I mean, I think like it, there's not a lot of downloads. I mean, who knows? It might change, but I don't, I don't want to be, you know, caught being the person who, you know, was kind of mean to Quibi, but I, I just, I don't know. I think that that short kind of content that they were talking about is like not something I've ever heard anyone say. Like I've never heard anyone be like, Gee, I wish I, I had want- a seven minute TV show I could watch. Yeah, it's like that's called YouTube. I think that TikTok was smart and that they went even shorter than that. Like, I don't think my brain is not, I I don't want to watch a seven minute video to get this quick thing. Like, that's called like a podcast. Like, there's plenty of like short daily news podcasts um, that I can listen to while I like get ready for work or whatever. You know, that was in the before times at least. Now it's like, well, I just brush my teeth and change into my home work pajamas instead of my sleep ones. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about Quibi. I've only seen some of the shows. A lot of it seems like over, um, overproduced, but I think it's like an interesting concept, but I just think like, I don't know. I don't know if like having it also be like, it was really hard to share Quibi content elsewhere. And that was one thing that TikTok did really smart. It's like you just download a TikTok video easily and you can send it to people who don't have TikTok. You can upload it to your Instagram story. Um, and that's something that they really didn't do very well. Either did Mixer. Like I never saw like, you know, here's what happened on Mixer today or on Byte. Like I think all these like new platforms have to really think about like, you know, kind of paradoxically, how are people going to share our stuff elsewhere? Well, this is a moment of truth for Quibi because they offered three months trials. And I think yesterday I signed up like day one 
and I think mine expired yesterday. So this is a bad week if you're Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman because you're waiting to see, well, how many of those people who, si who downloaded and signed up are, are staying with the platform? And I have to What say, are you going to do? Are you kidding? I canceled it in the first week. <laughs> so the flip side of that is it's a good week to check your subscription setting. Settings. Yes. Yes. You don't want to be paying for Quibi by accident. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, they raised. Always, Go ahead. It just for some reason it always um, it sort of dripped in with inauthenticity for me. I, I don't know That's why right. I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, but just even from the beginning, like from the announcement on onward, it just it just seemed inauthentic. I have uh, to be careful because I can't identify why. I think I have a natural animus out of Schadenfreude almost. I have a. I wanted them to fail because what it was was Hollywood's idea of what digital content should be. And if we use the Hollywood model, they raised one and three quarters billion dollars. We throw money. We bring in Hollywood celebrities uh, and we throw money at them and have super high production values. Then all those dumb kids watching TikTok and YouTube videos will see what real production and real content looks like and they'll flock to us and so i have a little bit of schadenfreude that, that no in fact uh native digital content creators actually do know their audience and they actually are creating something their audience wants and maybe it isn't as slick and high production and you don't have titus burgess in your show but maybe that's what people want maybe they want tyler blevins maybe they want ninja maybe that's what they really want i don't know um According to Karsten, Quibi lost everybody but 72,000 subscribers this week. That's, that's way more well, than I thought, honestly. That's bad. Yeah. That's really bad. That's you a lot. I mean, I can't believe how many people signed up. Oh, they, hundreds of thousands signed up. I mean, yeah, lots of people signed up. Because it was free um, for three months. Yeah. And, and you wanted to see what it was about. And right. there were some ridiculous show premises, like shooting food at the chefs and making them recreate. The, like, I, I really enjoyed, like, just the premises. But I was going to say, I feel like on the Internet, um, even still, even as mature as it has gotten, people like the relationship they have with people. So, Oh, that's interesting. And yes. Quibi didn't – I'm just trying to – even with YouTube and even with – Maybe less so with TikTok. So maybe we're just on this spectrum where we're no longer needing that relationship. I don't know. Uh, Louise, do you uh, – I don't watch all that much TikTok content, but do you have – do you think that's true for people who are younger maybe? Uh, I'm going to share something uh, disturbing about myself first to say to, – before I – to preface the fact that I feel like a TikTok expert. I got the notification today from Apple about my screen time and I spend 10 hours a day on my phone. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> really bad. That's definitely a quarantine thing to be fair. I don't watch any TV. I don't watch any streaming. So, like, you know, take that what you will. What However, are you doing? Were you doom scrolling Twitter? Uh, what are you doing? I'm doing Twitter a lot of time on TikTok. Honestly, I do a lot of my job from my phone because yeah. like you can't message people on TikTok right. from your desktop. So like a lot, that's a lot of what it is or like, you know, collecting content and stuff. You um, have a perfect excuse. That really excuse. doesn't justify it. This is your yeah, work. <laughs> However, given that I would say uh, to your question, no, I think that there still is a lot about like wanting the personal relationship. Um, a lot of TikTok celebrities just started out as normal people sharing their lives. Like a lot of this stuff is almost just like micro vlogging. That's a very like technical way of putting it, but just people being like, here's what I did today. Here's like, 
you know, here's a funny thing my dog did or whatever. And I think it's very personal, very low production value, yet much lower than YouTube, actually. Like, you know, a lot of these people don't even have ring lights, you know. So I think that definitely <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a pretty Oh my God, what amateurs. <laughs> I don't have one, but I'm saying like, you know, if you're if you're making videos on the internet, you know, it's like uh the first thing you buy. So I think, um, I think, yeah, I think that personal connection is still really important. That's a great point about Quibi is that like, it was, yeah, maybe these, uh, household names, but they didn't really work to like have that relationship. I I've never seen like, you know, Quibi native stars, like engaging with people on Twitter or anything like that. Oh, no. I think it's just really They're Hollywood. They're celebrities. Right. Honestly, exactly. if I'm Katzenberg and Whitman, I'm looking at John Krasinski's massive success with some good news on YouTube and going, I don't, what, what did we do wrong? <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. Honestly, by the way, I'm looking at my screen time for the last week, averaged an hour and three minutes a day. So Louise, you have a problem. I know. I know. I definitely have a problem <laughs> and perhaps I should get like more into TV. To be fair, I also listen to a lot of podcasts and it includes yeah. that. So a lot of the time I'm actually looking at my phone like I'm like cooking or something and it's playing a podcast. I'm going to be but. really fair. If you added all my screen time, not just my iPhone screen time, well over 10 hours a day. Oh, for sure. Almost for sure, all but. every waking minute is spared is spent staring at a screen. <laughs> so I'm at six hours. So five oh, hours and job. 58 minutes. So you know what? You're you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, other uh, people on this podcast are not cannot tell me whether like they're not good not a good barometer. But I'm glad to know you're at least sixty percent of the way there. To That's me, good. that makes you feel a little better. Phil, what do you got? Uh, Thirty-eight. I'm up to thirty-eight hours a day. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly an overachiever monitors. in the business. Clearly, yeah, two, two two big monitors and then phones and iPads. Yeah, so all the time. If you add them up, definitely more than yeah. twenty-four hours a day. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were going to say 38 minutes and you were going to be like, I actually meditate for four hours a day. And I was going to be like, oh, no, I feel horrible now. <laughs> who is that? Jack Dorsey? Who does that? Who does? Oh, no. Uh, Yuval Nora Harari, the author of uh, all those great books like uh, Homo. The author uh, of one Sapiens. great book and a few OK books. OK. Sapiens was the great one. Which one was the great one? Yeah. Sapiens, Sapiens. was the great one. OK. I like 20, 21 answers for the 21st century. I thought that was, co but you're right. He's kind of, he's like Malcolm Gladwell. He's kind of recycling the, you know. I think Sapiens was great because like, it's not a field that I know much about. And so I learned so much from it. But right. then uh, uh, the next one, you know, he starts writing about AI and a few other things and a little bit more familiar territory. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really how any of this works. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I Sapiens was mine. And that was like his big thing. The New Yorker profile all about him was like, that was his, his like grand unifying thesis of life. Right. So, you know, I expect if that's what you're working on, but then you get the second book deal and you're like, well, I can't say no to that. <laughs> well, how can I apply my thesis to something else? I've got to meditate four hours a day somehow. Uh, let me quickly get uh, one more add in before we uh, get to our final uh, stories. What a fun show. I don't ever want it to end. Uh, but some days it has to. Let me show you my, this is such a good deal. This is an iPhone SE which I scored from Mint Mobile. It is $15 a month. And then I got my Mint Mobile service, unlimited nationwide text, talk, and three gigabytes of data, $15 a month. For 30 bucks a month, a third what I'm paying for data, for internet and, you know, phone calls alone from the big guys, I got 
a great little phone at a great little price. That's Mint Mobile. They, they're selling you the same service. They run on T-Mobile that you get from the big boys. But because they have no stores, they have no retail, there's no hidden fees, they give you an amazing deal. There's the green fox who has a surprising resemblance to Ryan Reynolds. I, I just noticed that. Maybe it's the glasses. Mint Mobile is a no-brainer. Premium wireless, 15 bucks a month. By going online only, you're eliminating the you know cost of retail, and they pass that savings along to you. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, crazy fast 4G LTE. You can bring your own phone. They'll send you the SIM, put it in for free. They'll port your number if you want it. Or you can get phones, like I said, this iPhone SE. That's a great deal on a great phone. Switch now to Mint Mobile. You'll get premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. If you're not 100% satisfied, they've got you covered. Seven-day money-back guarantee. Uh, and I actually ended up, they have a variety of plans. So I did the three gigs for a while. I said, this is great. But I thought, I want more data. So I got the 12 gigabytes a month. Unlimited nationwide talk and text. 12 gigabytes. I never go through even half that, but it's nice to have it all. You can get eight gigabytes. They sell it in the chunks you want. 25 bucks a month. I got a, so I paid once $300, got a whole year. That's 25 bucks a month. That is a third, less than a third what I'm paying the big boys for the same service. I think Mint Mobile is awesome. If you are still overpaying for cell service, mintmobile.com slash twit. Get that three month introductory plan, just $15 a month. You got to get the SIM shipped to your door, pop it in a phone or buy a phone from them. They've got great prices. You'll be very happy. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Cut your wireless bill down to $15 a month. Mintmobile.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support for the show. And I have to say, when you're wearing face masks, touch ID, fingerprint, not a bad idea. This phone is so cool. Plus, it fits in my pocket. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Oh, boy, still a few stories to go, but we're, it's, it's, we're getting long. Uh, I, Jack Dorsey donates $3 million to basic universal income. This is Silicon Valley's hope for the for the future was with when Yang was running uh, for president. It makes even more sense now, I think. Yes. No comment. Twit hints, uh, Twitter, not twit. Twitter hints at a future subscription service. Twit will not be doing that by the way. But when Twitter uh, mentioned this in a job listing, their stock price went up 10%. People like the idea of Twitter making money. Has Twitter responded to this? Like, are you covering this story, Louise? Has Twitter? I haven't covered this specifically, but um, I did see a lot of funny jokes because obviously the big thing everyone loves to say on Twitter is this website is free. Uh, so it will be funny when that it's website not. is two ninety nine per month. <laughs> if it would, you know uh, what? It, you would get rid of a lot of the bots if you charged even the smallest amount, right? Uh, I will say that I think they're leaning into the fact that uh, Twitter has including myself, like these power users that I think might pay for some, you know, enhanced uh, features or whatever. I don't know if I would necessarily, but I can sort of see the use case for it, unlike some of these other apps where 
a lot of people are just kind of more casual users. Um, I think Twitter has rapid, I wouldn't call them fans necessarily, but people who spend a lot of time doom scrolling on there. I could also see like, you know, some sort of like news service that like, you know, in rounded up like all the important tweets about a certain news topic or something that would be useful to a lot of Twitter's user base, which like often a lot of people use the platform for news. I That's how I use it. I don't use it for communication, really. I use it for news. And uh, it's a, it's like a news feed if you follow the right people. And I would absolutely pay if they brought back the track feature, for instance, which let you track subject matter or hashtags. Um, they're, they're, and it, honestly, if I could just get rid of the trolls, I'd pay money to use Twitter. Just like have the good Twitter. I don't know how that would work, but if they could do that. Yeah, I think it's great that the, they need to experiment with this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, I think Jack has been pretty serious about uh, the whole, you know, healthy conversations uh, initiative. Are they, they're, uh, they're aligned, aren't they? Um, I think they're, they're coming. They're really trying hard to come into alignment. I think they started in a place that was probably similar to Facebook, but I think they've really taken it seriously. And uh, I have no idea whether a subscription thing is real or whether it would succeed. But I think they, it's critical that they try anything to, uh, you know, introduce business models that are fundamentally aligned with with what end users want that's not entirely uh, targeted advertising dependent. Yeah. Yeah, they well they uh, there's another like Apple their advertising hasn't been really a, a gold mine for them. That's uh, cuz it's terrible. Okay. If I get any more of those stupid promoted stories yeah, about cute promoted, dogs or yeah. what is it? Oh, makeup women makeup mistakes women over 50 make. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Why no, are you getting those? That's so brutal. That's, that's I am getting all of those mistakes out of the way now. Just I'm just going to. I gonna think your makeup more. is fantastic. I think you've done a wonderful job. That's sweet of you. I'm not over the age of 50. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> so mean. Um, uh, let's see. I, I think that's all I really. Uh, I, did, are there any stories you guys were anxious to talk about? I mean, I, I think. Would, I would ask Louise. I have a story that I would like please. to get outside takes on because I've been thinking about it for a while, which is the data miner story. Um, and it's related to Twitter. Oh, I should have done a segue. Okay. Uh, the, the story that people were very upset that, uh, police officers were using, were using a service called data miner that has access to the Twitter API to the police were using it to locate protests during the black lives matter protest. And people were like, this is surveillance and as someone who, like, I know data miner, I sat through their presentations forever ago. I wanted, I wanted access to their API so I could build a sentiment analysis thing with a smart light bulb to tell me when companies that I was excited about were popping on Twitter, right? Um, so I looked at the way the police were using it and I didn't feel nefarious or like surveillance. It doesn't feel great, but I, I would... I would love to get a take from people who are maybe smarter or just have different opinions on this. So did data miner, data miner has the famous Twitter fire hose, which is the everything feed. It's by now must be a very fat fire hose. Do they pay Twitter for that? Very few people have access to it. I believe they pay for it. Okay. They must, cause it's got to cost uh, Twitter a lot. Uh, Twitter says, yeah, they have it, but all people were doing with it, was monitoring news stories, just the kind of thing we would want. Uh, and, of course, the police can use that because if you're following the news, you know where protests are, are breaking out and so forth. Um, 
Twitter says that's all they were doing, news alerting. Yeah, I mean, it's like where is the line between like what what is news alerting and what is surveillance? Um, I mean, I, I think the line between those things is like not necessarily clear. Like, I think that this is intelligence gathering. I don't know if it's the same as like, you know, uh, secretly asking Twitter for data about users who are tweeting about, you know, the George Floyd protests. Uh, is there a difference between this and um let's say, you know, flying a drone over the protest for right. sure. I think that Twitter's argument here is like, you know, this is public information that's being, you know, aggregated and it's, you know, sentiment analysis. And it's, it's also something that like, you know, a lot of researchers do, for example, is like, you know, collect all the tweets on a certain topic and analyze them. Um, but I do think that the fact that it's police kind of really changes the dynamic here, especially with the way that, the police have treated the protesters. Um, but I do kind of, you know, I think it's hard. I, I, I don't think it's a use that the average person tweeting about the protests understood it could be used for. And that's sort of like where I come down on this. It's like, for example, I've had a lot of debates about um, embedding tweets in news stories, right? Like, is that fair? Do you need to get the person's consent, et cetera? And there's a lot of people who say, okay, you tweeted it out. You had to have like known that. However, I kind of fall on the side of like, you know, that's not the intended audience. The intended audience of your tweet was not wired readers. It was your Twitter followers. So it's oh, not really fair to, huh. you know, assume that that's an audience you would have expected because it's not. Um, you know, I think if I quoted your tweet or something, but didn't link to it, I think you know, there are kind of shades of gray here, but I do think that like, you know, the average person who was tweeting at a protest didn't understand that the police might be like analyzing those tweets for, you know, intelligence purposes, but you were tweeting publicly. So I sort of do think that there's a little bit here or there, but, um, it's not, uh, it's not black and white. And I do think, I understand why this was a news story and why this was something oh, yeah. that like, you know. Some people would oh, yeah. be, you know, and the, upset about for sure. If people are interested, they should read. It's very detailed. The story mm -hmm. uh, that broke in the Intercept. It was their story, and the reason it's uh, of interest partly is because this came up four years ago in 2016. Uh, data miner, uh, w which is by the way, data miner is partly owned by Twitter as well as the CIA. Uh, the accusation four years ago was that. Uh, data miner and other companies like it were being used to enable domestic surveillance. Twitter said, no, no, we won't do that. Uh, using Twitter's public APIs or data products to track or profile protesters and activists is absolutely unacceptable and prohibited. Um, and so this has come up again. And that's one of the reasons this is a story. Oh, I didn't know that they were saying that it had been prohibited from yeah, way back then. Four then years ago. Yeah. yeah. Zen, no. I mean, I, I don't agree with the way it's gone down, but I'm also like the outrage here feels like it feels good in some ways because I think people need to understand what it means to have a digital footprint and how that can be used yes. against them. And yes, I mean, I would like for them to understand it without having to be arrested. Um, but these stories are important for that reason. But I also am kind of like, was this really a terrible thing or was just them just using it the way it was supposed to be. Historically, uh, Twitter has been a place for protesters to organize. Uh, the Arab Spring happened on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so this has been a very useful tool for protesters. But I am not surprised that the police and others would try to use it. It is 
roughly public information, right? You're tweeting it well, publicly. I, so I, I disagree. I think, uh, well, with the public information thing, I, basically, I think there's, I, I kind of have three thoughts about this. Uh, the, uh, the first is, um, it's a creepy company name. And let's let, let this be a lesson. For <laughs> but there's no data, Ian data miner. <laughs> creepy name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but mm-hmm. then again, you know, there's Palantir, right? Yeah, Palantir that's is really creepy. That's super creepy. It's literally <laughs> named after the thing in Lord of the Rings that corrupts everyone who looks at it by giving them too much information. Yeah. So, anyway, creepy names. Creepy name. Learn your lesson, people. Um, but the second thing is like the fact, I think, and I think Luis like really, really, uh, hit this on the head. Um, yeah, it's public information, but that's no longer enough. Interesting. Um, What's the intended audience? Be, yeah. Right, well, yeah. It, it, I would say more than that, right? So the, the traditional like understanding of privacy, like the Supreme Court understanding of it is you're not entitled to privacy if you are, you know, walking around outside, right? So like if the cops see you doing something illegal, you know, outside, outdoors in public, and they don't have a warrant, they don't need a warrant, they can come after you. But, you know, but they're not allowed to like go inside your house, right? That was always like the distinction. Right. But I think that distinction assumes human level capability of observation, not superhuman uh, capability of observation. So when we have the ability to algorithmically and automatically see everything, when we literally are the eye of Sauron, just the fact that it's like public, I don't think that that I don't think that's enough. I don't think that actually means anything anymore. So, yeah, like maybe uh, the police ought to be allowed to scroll through Twitter manually looking for stuff like a person would. But as soon as they start using technology that literally looks at everything, I don't actually think that that, that public versus private makes any distinction. I think it's creepy and Orwellian yeah. uh, to do it. And then kind of the third thing is, and I think, I think, Leo, I think you said this, this is like, well, is it terrible or is it like they were doing, they were using it the way it was designed? Like, I think it's terrible because they're using it in the way that it was designed. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it's not broken. It's, it's in computer terms, right? It's, 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 it's a wad. It's working as designed. Like this is, this is how they made it to, 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 to do this kind of stuff with it, which makes it worse that this isn't a bug or a problem. It's a, it's a feature. So yeah, I don't think it's necessarily illegal, but I think the outrage is is kind of well placed. I it love is, your distinction. I don't like it. I love your distinction between what a human could do and what a, and then what would be superhuman. So, for a police officer to scroll through Twitter looking for Black Lives Matters protests and posts yeah. would be okay, but to do it by sucking the fire hose of Twitter and using powerful systems to analyze it and pop up alerts—that's not okay. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the line is somewhere there, right? Yeah. It's like if uh, if if I tweet something and I tweet something that maybe is you know illegal or there's a you know there's a there's a crime in progress and uh, somebody sees it and like a human being sees it and reports it or maybe like a, a human police officer sees it and like that that feels like that's okay. Uh, but if there's a, this uh, super intelligent AI system that's looking at everything everybody says and automatically flagging and detecting things, then that's no longer there's no longer any difference of that with me saying it publicly versus me like saying it inside the house. It also right? introduces a, a possibility okay. of error, misinterpretation, uh, and things like that, which make you know it's well, too powerful in some way. I think I think there was this court case. Um, it was probably a few decades ago at this point where I remember there was something about the police was were using infrared 
cameras to detect uh, uh, marijuana growers. Back in the before times when like marijuana growing was illegal, um, there was some case where the cops would like roll up in front of a suspected you know house that was that was engaging in, in growing marijuana, and they would like point an infrared camera, and they can see because of the heat difference, the heat signature of all the grow lamps. And uh, I think they made some some arrests or some busts. And and the controversy was like, well, they didn't have a warrant, but the cops were saying like, no, this is this is public. We were just looking from the outside. You know, we were just passing by in our patrols and we just happened to see that, you know, your house was too hot. And so we, you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, like the idea was like, yeah, you're looking from the outside, but you're not looking with human eyes. You're looking with an infrared camera. And that the whole idea of uh, that, like, well, it's publicly visible, like those laws were created assuming a human level of capability, not a superhuman level of capability. And of course, now with, you know, this fire hose of data and with AI, it's much worse than infrared cameras. It's you can algorithmically see everything. So this whole like hiding behind a fig leaf where, well, you tweeted it publicly, should have known uh, that doesn't it doesn't hold water for me. So the the case that you're talking about is a good one because it exhibits like where I think the law is going to break down on these. So that case wasn't because it wasn't their human eyes. It was actually an unreasonable search and uh, unreasonable search uh, without a warrant because they decided I'm glad I that, that I didn't just make it up because I wasn't sure when I was talking. So thank no, you. No, no, it's um, it's um, oh, uh, Elliot was the uh, name of the guy, but the the legal uh, basis for that. What is it? Kylo. It's a it's, Kylo. it's Kilo or Kylo versus U.S. As a someone who is obsessed with the Fourth Amendment, uh, I can yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you. it's a yeah. Fourth Amendment case, and I think this is because what you're talking about, and that's one of the things I wanted this to be public and talk about it because I think it's really important for people to understand the limits of their privacy when you have computer vision, when you have the a massive powers of today's you know computing infrastructure, but. As we're seeing, and I think we're going to see really interesting court cases come along because there are things like Google's getting the requests for all phones that were in an area at the time a crime was committed. Now, that is that is not a search and seizure issue. So we have to have the laws we have now don't really address that. And if I'm thinking about something like computer vision, right? So if you think about it's the same argument we're making with Twitter, but if you say that somebody robbed someone in a public square and you did a search for their face and found them and maybe searched the whole country for them. I, I don't know how, how we would think about this, but we have to, I, I think we do need to make a distinction and we need to do it somehow within a legal framework that makes sense because I don't know if search and seizure, that's where most of these get, or searching, sorry, search without a fourth amendment that's where most of them fall into, but I don't know if that's robust enough for what we're looking for. Wow. That's a start. We can just ban all companies with creepy names. <laughs> that's data miner and Palantir. You're out. That's over. I wish I had another four hours to talk to you guys. So good. I am now fully intrigued by the fact that Louise, you're a fourth amendment fanatic. I'm excited about I, yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that a hobby I, for you or? 
Um, there was a, a big case. I think it was uh, maybe it was last summer or the summer before. Um, but there was like a time when there was just like a lot of movement in the Fourth Amendment. And I just got we have since hired someone who like went to law school and like Damn is it. a DC reporter. <laughs> but at the time, I was doing a lot of like legal reporting, and it was just so fascinating in these cases. The other big case that always comes up um, is. Uh, they put a GPS tracker on a guy's yeah, car right. and that was also uh, right. uh, ruled uh, unconstitutional under the fourth amendment. Those are the two like really famous tech cases. Um, but yeah, I love the marijuana case. It was fascinating. Um, That's the but yeah, no, I think case. Yeah. You guys are really smart yeah. on this and it's a, well, a good point. I'm blown away that three out of the four panelists remembered a 2001 Supreme court decision <laughs> on unreasonable search and seizure. That's amazing. And that you could cite it is even more impressive. Uh, Louise, Louise, did you read a uh, Cyrus Faravar's book, uh, habeas data? Uh, I have not read the whole thing, but I had it on my okay. desk in the before times and I've talked to him, uh, I think a couple yeah. of times for my, uh, stories, but yeah, he's like the guy on this yeah. for sure. Well, we're going to have to get him on privacy versus the rise of surveillance tech Cyrus Faravar. Louise, thank you so much for being here. Louise uh, Matsakis is of course, staff writer at wired and fourth amendment junkie. You can find her on the Twitter at L Matsakis, M-A-T-S-A-K-I-S. Have I been saying that right the whole time, I hope? Yeah, Matsakis. I think you got it. Thank you so much for having me. You tilted your head as if it was like, well, for an old guy, you did all right. No, no. I was laughing at uh, being a Fourth Amendment junkie. No, yeah, I think no that's good. 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 That's your new title. Uh, we're going to put that in your lower third from now on. Really a I'll pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Stacy's been working overtime. She's been on three shows now on the Twit Network this week. Thank you. Bless you. We really appreciate it. We'll see you on Wednesday. Jeff Jarvis's birthday on Wednesday. We've got a surprise for him. So I'm excited on this week in Google. That's going to be fun. Subscribe to Stacy's newsletter, StacyOnIoT.com. Listen to her podcast, the IoT podcast with Kevin Tofel. Follow her at Giga Stacy on Twitter. Thank you, Stacy. Fine. And uh, Phil Libin, really great to have you on. Man, you're coming back. Uh, you don't have to use mm-hmm, but you can. His new, uh, his new tool is at mmhmm.app. Mm-hmm. But you can't get it yet. You got to apply for an invite. I just got lucky, I guess. Floated to the top of the heap. But thank you, Phil. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Do you think some of your... Um, by the way, somebody pointed out Palantir, Data Miner, bad names, Quibi. We could also ban Quibi. I don't know if Quibi is creepy, though. It's just kind of, I don't know, although, yeah. It's a little if creepy. it was like a good test is like if a name was like a, a creature in Star Trek, it would be like good or evil. Like Quibi is, yeah. It would be more like an Ewok than, you know. It'd be cute. Yeah, it would be cute. cute. A Quibi would but be it cute. It would be like, like yeah. cute but deadly. <laughs> Do you think that your attitude like towards data mining a little influenced by the fact that you were born in the Soviet Union? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, look, all of this is balancing out two harms, right? The harm of, uh, you know, the harm of crime, of like individual crimes against other people and the need to reduce the harm that comes from those crimes, which is a very legitimate thing. And then balancing that out with the harm of, you know, state surveillance and crimes committed by, you know, by, by, by states, right. Or by large, by large organizations. And 
there's always a balance between uh, which of those things gets like over dramatized. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, very often, the at least in the U.S., at least right now, the individual crime is like we're kind of over indexing on them. It's actually not that big a deal most of the time. Uh, and the, the harm done by, you know, massive surveillance at the state level has also not been that terrible yet. But there's definitely strong yeah. potential. For it. Yeah. Yeah. The tools so, are yeah, there. I, and I having think- been born and yeah, like lived a part of my life in a place where the balance very much was there was a lot more harm committed by a powerful state yeah. uh, in the Soviet Union than than the harm committed by individual crimes. Yeah, I think I generally, you know, I'm, have some more have some have some trauma around that. But I, I, I usually err on the side of, yeah, let's do let's do a little bit less surveillance. Let's do a little bit less uh, data mining, all of that kind of stuff. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Phil. Really great to see you. Good luck with mm-hmm. That's a, I love the title. I love the name. Thank and you. I think it's a great app. And I've been playing with it. And uh, uh, I, I think we, there's a lot we're going to be able to do with it. It's really, really cool. Uh, thank you all for joining us. This has been a fantastic show. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon, about 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. That's 21.30 UTC. If you want to watch live, we do a live audio and video stream. It's really that kind of the behind-the-scenes stream. But uh, it's always on at twit.tv slash live. Uh, if you're doing that, though, join us in the chat room because they're live, too, mostly. irc.twit.tv. That's where the interaction happens most of us listen on demand after the fact you'll find all of our podcasts at our website twit.tv they're also on youtube you can even ask your amazon echo or other voice device just play this week in tech it'll play the most recent one uh, or actually my preferred way for you to listen or watch is to get a podcast app and subscribe that way you'll have it the minute it's available uh, of a sunday evening we appreciate that thank you all for being here uh, we'll see you next week. Another twit this is in the can. Doing the twit. Doing the twit.